carbureted or fuel injected? I'm going to go fuel injected. Two strokes or four strokes? I'm going to say both on that one. East Coast or West Coast? Uh, I got to stay home. East Coast by far. On road or off road? I'm personally an on road rider, but I have a lot of admiration for people that can ride off road and support a lot of off road riders. So I'm going to go both on that one. Lately, it's been all track. How many cylinders? I'm a twins guy. Sweepers or hairpins? Sweepers. What was your first two wheeled motorized vehicle? Honda Z50. Favorite bike in your garage? I'm going to go with one of my flat track bikes, the Orange Feel. Uh, Triumph Scrambler. That's like our top shelf hooligan flat track bike. So that's my favorite bike that I own. Uh, Brian Ballard from Tuxedo Park, New York. Hey, what's up, podcast? It's Drew back again with another episode of Moto Adventure Unscripted. Uh, today on the episode, we are talking with Brian Ballard. He is the the face, the man behind A&J Cycles New York. He is also the uh, owner and team manager of a flat track team. Um, so we talk about how he got into motorcycles, um, what it's like starting a business uh, basically out of your, your office closet um, and, and turning that business into something that becomes a brick and mortar store. Uh, obviously, you know, he sells custom parts primarily for Triumph Twins, but uh, is getting into other, other brands and bikes as well. Um, his taste in custom bikes and the different motorcycles that uh, AJ Cycles has put together. Um, a lot about hooligan racing, and we spend uh, quite a bit of time exploring uh, flat track and what goes into that. And not only just customizing bikes, but, uh, you know, souping up Triumph Twins so that they can race and whatnot. So it's a lot of interesting stuff here. Uh, as always, we want to hear from the listeners, um, so if you've got feedback to send us, hit me at motoadvr at gmail.com. Um, uh, wherever you're listening, turn it up, grab your beverage of choice, and uh, we hope you enjoy the show. All right, we are we're live with my buddy Brian. How you doing, man? Good, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, this is uh, my first podcast. I uh, listen to a bunch of different podcast uh from flat track to motocross to just general moto and uh i was pretty excited when you asked me to be on so glad to be here absolutely uh obviously you've been taking care of me so for the listeners benefit um steve comrade of all people sent me a flat a screenshot of your anj cycles account way back when selling scrambler parts uh, and so I got linked up with you that way, and I was like, "Wow, with all this time and parts and working with you on stuff, like, man, we should we should get on the show and talk about this because you're into silly bikes the way I'm into silly bikes. <laughs> so let's do this. So do me a favor, uh, give the listeners, uh, you know, a elevator pitch. You know, introduce introduce us to you. All right. So uh, so I own a company called A and J Cycles. We're we're kind of Triumph specialists. So Triumph modern classics basically anything 2001 and up with a twin cylinder we uh we kind of have captured the aftermarket and we really focus on suspension performance aspects um it's a part-time gig i know that sounds crazy because you know we get a lot of people like we you know we have a pretty good presence on the internet and people are just surprised to hear that i'm doing this in my free time after work and on weekends and uh, we have a workshop you know, we're only working open Thursday nights and Saturday mornings where we work on bikes. I have a couple of buddies that help me out of the shop and uh, I've kind of just taken it from, you know, selling parts out of a closet at my house um, and my wife kicking me out of the closet. Well, <laughs> not in that aspect, but just 
basically throwing me out of the house and saying, this is getting too big. You got to find something. And, uh, you know, about six, six and a half years ago, we, uh, started renting a, like a one bay garage and, uh, about a year and a half after that, I ended up buying a one bay garage, uh, kind of in like the condo setup we're in. So, you know, kind of own our, own our location. The part stuff is just taken off. Um, we do some custom work. Um, you know, I don't consider ourselves custom builders whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not welding on bikes too much. Um, you know, we do a lot of paint, powder coat, bolt on stuff. Um, but I feel like we have a pretty good eye and, you know, in tune with the market of, of what looks cool and what people want. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough to build some really badass scramblers to yeah. cafe racers, um, and all in between, um, you know, like I said, very triumph focused, but you know, some of the stuff I'm proud of is, is, you know, this is more of an, an off-road podcast. Um, you know, but we used to have these like snow hill climbs local to us. And, um, yep. you know, the first bike we ever brought there was a 1973, uh, BMW, uh, 750 and you know just get a lot of looks and we're racing against harleys and all sorts of other just jalopies up the track and uh me personally i'm not a very skilled off-road rider so i just build these bikes and let my buddies that know what they're doing ride them and get the most out of them and it's a it's a it's a pretty rewarding experience uh you know we've dabbled in flat track the last three four years um built a literally bought a set of 19 inch hoops with spokes um off of a another triumph shop that was kind of going out of business and came up with the idea that I'm going to build a flat track bike and literally took that thing from being a former hill climber, you know, to being, uh, you know, what I would consider one of the, one of the top hooligan bikes in the country. So, um, it's just been a cool experience and just giving people opportunities to ride, you know, cool bikes that they wouldn't necessarily have the chance to. And that's kind of a AJ cycles in a, in a nutshell right now. So that's, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, and uh, I'm I'm personally thankful for that uh, change from the uh, hill climber to the flat tracker because I got to benefit from the parts. <laughs> um, so how did you get into bikes? I mean, before we start going too much into that stuff, I'm kind of curious what led you on your journey here. Yeah, so just always always been around bikes my entire life. So, uh, you know. My dad will probably make fun of me for bringing this up, but my dad was in the gold wings when I was a little kid. So mm-hmm. he had a, a gold wing with a whole bunch of lights on it and, you know, pinstriping and my mom's name on the bike and my dad's name. And that's kind of how I was brought up into it. Uh, you know, got introduced to dirt bikes when I was like five years old, um, you know, kind of grew out of the dirt bike. And I, you know, I vividly remember my dad buying me an ATC 110. So not, not a moto, but, you know, in the same realm and, uh, I had it for about six months and then they started getting a really bad rap, you know, very dangerous. Um, some of the, you know, local trail places we could go ride around my house closed down and, uh, they sold it on me and then I didn't get anything until I was older. My parents got divorced and, uh, you know, rode, my buddies had like a YZ 80, a couple different three wheelers, quads started coming out. So I just rode my buddy stuff. Um, but until I got my own job and I can, could afford stuff again, uh, you know, it was kind of just not really a moto kid growing up at all. Um, and then when I got back into it, I, you know, I got into quads and stuff like that. And, uh, my first street bike was a CBR 600. Um, Mm -hmm. not the great choice. My brother was very angry at me. So my brother was also into motos and kind of like paved the way for me. And, you know, he had, he had a Harley at the time when I got the, the crotch rocket and then, uh, you know, not to be a Debbie downer, but I actually lost my brother in a motorcycle accident. So I kind of just gave up on bikes for a little while. Um, and I've, I've always said it to people like once motorcycles are kind of in your blood, they just have a draw back. So I was away from motorcycles for probably 
four or five years and then I uh, just wanted to get a bike. Uh, my parents weren't happy with me. My mom wasn't happy, but I was, uh, you know, I was in my early twenties and, you know, mid twenties and I decided I was going to get a Harley. So I was, it was down to an RC 51 or Harley Davidson, uh, night train Softail, And I, uh, wow. I bought the Harley, um, went crazy modding it. There's a little stretch in there where I kind of got into cars when I wasn't into motos. So I skipped sure. over that a little bit, but I, uh, I was pretty heavily into, uh, four cylinder turbo Hondas drag racing and, uh, you know, literally raced around the country um in my honda crx making like 700 horsepower and was really successful with it and me and my buddy yeah. down in uh, a couple buddies down in uh i'm in new york but a couple buddies down in like the virginia maryland area were helping me out and we were just always sharing ideas and we, we basically had the two fastest you know two of the fastest honda street cars at the time we'll wow. use that term loosely but um so that kind of filled that that void for me of like an adrenaline and stuff like that and uh once that started winding down, the economy kind of went south. The, the series we were racing in, um, you know, kind of went belly up. Uh, just didn't have anything. And then that's when I got into bikes again. So got into the Harleys, had a couple of Harleys. And then uh, my wife, you know, got married, started doing more adulting stuff. And uh, my wife rode on the back with me. And then, uh, then she got pregnant. And she was like, listen, I'm not going to ride on the bikes anymore. And um, that's kind of when, you know, AJ Cycles was kind of just selling some Harley parts out of a garage at that point and, and me tinkering with my own stuff and powder coating them, painting them and stuff like that. And, you know, I like to think that both my Harleys are, were pretty clean bikes for the time. You know, it was, it was before you had 30 inch wheel baggers and stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but they were clean functional bikes, kind of like the same type of stuff we do today. And uh, when my wife got pregnant, I, uh, my brother-in-law had a pretty cool sportster um, that was like cafeed out that we had worked on at my house and I was like, you know what? I don't feel like at the time I had a street glide. I was like, I don't feel like lifting a 900 pound bike off of a kickstand every time I want to go out. So I, uh, I put an ad, I put it up on eBay for sale and I put in there that I would take a partial trade for a, uh, cafe racer, you know, either a Harley Sportster or a, uh, or a Triumph. And, uh, some guy in Ohio reached out to me and was like, Hey, I have this Triumph Thruxton. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll trade you this Triumph Thruxton and 11,000 bucks for your bike. And I was floored. I was like, I couldn't believe yeah. I was going to get a wad of cash, this much money and, and get this cool bike. Cause it was a pretty clean, it was a red and white, you know, thrust in, but it had like an arrow exhaust on it. Uh, the rims are already blacked on. It was just a cool looking bike. Um, and I showed pictures once in a while, like, Hey, this is the real start of A&J cycles here on, on my Instagram. Um, but that kind of started it and, uh, just went crazy with that bike. Did a fork swap. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, when you, when you get 11 grand <laughs> with the bike, you can really go nuts. Yeah, like I, I don't ever do anything half-ass. It's just kind of like an addiction for me. Like, I, you know, I don't drink. I don't do any yeah. drugs. I was like a straight-edge kid growing up. So, um, you know, when I commit to something, I'm all in. And that's a very good trait to have, but also a very bad trait. Um, you know, so I sunk a ton of money into this bike. And, you know, 180 wide-wheel conversion kit, a Jixer front end on it, paint, new tail, new seat, you know just the best of the best parts and you know just over a few years it built up and then you know i started working on some buddies bikes and then sorry about that we have some local events called bikes and breakfast and we started bringing our bikes out you know they just started up and uh just had some random people like hey man could you work on our bikes too and you know never really thought about it in that in that aspect um but that's probably about you know eight nine years ago and then uh so then we started just working on a few bikes at the house and then that also culminated with the wife not wanting me selling parts out of the spare bedroom closet and me having like random people showing up to the house, dropping bikes off, picking them <laughs> up. 
and then that's kind of where it, it like legitimized it a little bit more so so that's kind of my uh my moto background i don't know if you want to go into more recent stuff but uh that's that's kind of what started everything for for me Let's, so it's it, tell the listeners like some of the stuff that you guys have worked on because you guys have some some awesome stuff on your website and i'm i'm sure that's not the limit right so i mean and you touched a little bit on what you've done to the thruxton and obviously i'm a i'm a, a bonneville aficionado right so i'm super into it and i'm, I'm over here on did you change the front forks like what'd you do to the shocks like i want to know all that stuff yeah so that's <laughs> so some of the cool bikes that we've that we've worked on um you know personal bikes um definitely my thruxton is kind of like just it's my baby it's what, what started the company um it's been changed color like three, four times. It has a seats that's kind of out of proportion. I've always wanted to go back and like kind of redo some stuff on it, but there's just no time. But, uh, you know, I brought that bike out of, it was literally like my street bike that I rode around and we brought it out to the Javits show and put it in the street class. And there was some, you know, some pretty customized bikes in there. We got first place, which was kind of like, just like validation of, you know, you don't have to be these crazy fabricators and everything else. If you have a good eye and you make a clean looking bike, like there's a market for that out there. And, um, I've kind of just taken that as the as kind of how I run A and J cycles. Like you know, like the majority of the parts I sell anyone, you know, like you you did your suspension, like you know they could bolt them on and make a cool looking mm-hmm. bike at the, in their in their own garages. So that's kind of the beauty of it. So you know, I don't just sell crap. Like if I don't believe in a part or a product that I wouldn't put on my own bike, like I don't sell it. So there's some major yeah. brands that I carry parts that I just you know I don't feel, and sometimes it burns me because there's some stuff that gets popular that you know, that people yeah. like don't really have the vision that I have that just want to bolt Farkles onto their bikes and stuff like that, that, uh, you know, they'll just, they like those parts, but you know, I kind of just, you know, if, like I said, if I wouldn't use it myself, I'm not going to sell it to people. So that's kind of how that's progressed. And then we did a, before the flat track bike that I have now, it was a hill climber. And, um, you know, we did some, some 300, you know, some longer shocks on the back. We did what was a pretty popular mod, like an F2 fork mod on the front. And, you know, on most bikes, you got to run those things like an inch and a half through the top clamp to like kind of get it to even out, but you get some adjustability on that you don't get in a stock front end. And, uh, so we put, you know, some taller shocks on the back and the thing sits up high and, um, you know, we had some fun with that thing and then that bike turned into a flat tracker. Um, but I've also built a second hill climber out of the spare parts out of that bike. So that's another cool bike that we're going to, it's kind of, we built it really half-assed it, like really ugly seat on it and stuff. We ran it at one hill climb event and it's just been sitting in the corner of my shop just collecting dust but um this winter i'm gonna make a conservative effort to uh you know to make that thing a a really nice functional you know do some engine work to it because that one's actually not even a scrambler that's based off of like a a customer 2001 bonneville project that just went south at the shop um you know we just kept sinking money into it and the guy was like listen you know i'm just gonna sell this bike to you and we were like okay and then you know we put some more money into it and got it running but uh that's kind of how that project came about and then uh, another cool bike that I'm proud of is um, we got one of the first uh, 1200 Scrambler XCs on the East Coast and, yeah. you know, kind of had at, had at it and, you know, w- wanted to try to mimic like a Steve McQueen Scrambler, you know, desert sled from like the 60s, but with like a modern twist on it. And, you know, I think we captured some of what we were trying to do. Um, we were just trying to get one of the first custom Scrambler 1200s out there. So, you know, cut some corners and was never fully what I wanted it to be, but it was still a cool looking bike and had some trick stuff that, you know, stuff people still haven't done on those bikes. Um, you know, did a lot of powder coating on it and, and you know, the bike stands for itself. And then, uh, I made a really bad mistake of, of selling that to a customer <laughs> and then I actually tried to back out of the, the deal on it at the last minute. And the guy was like, if you don't sell me the bike, I'm getting lawyers involved in him. 
I talked to my yeah. wife about it and she's like, no, nah, you have it in an email that you said you'd sell it to him. So there's really nothing you yeah. can do. And she's like, let's go build another one if you want. And I was like, yeah, you're yeah. right. So that's kind of how that went. So that bike actually lives out in like Colorado now or something. And once in a while, pixels show up in cool spots. Like I think he took a picture of it at like the top of like Pike's Peak or something like that. And, uh, and then sadly we've gotten so busy that we don't really have time for our own projects anymore. So lately it's yeah. been a bunch of customer bikes that we work which is kind of nice because i'm getting paid to build something cool that now becomes like marketing propaganda um rather than sinking my own money into projects which is what it always was um you know and i'm not complaining at all i feel very fortunate that we have customers that believe in us you know trust us with their you know we've literally had some customers from from like middle of the country you know chicago buy a bike at our local dealership um have it delivered to us and like we literally tear it down and put it back together and you know they'll do a lot of crazy work to it and it's i'm just i just just baffles me that like you know we're we're a bunch of nobodies you know that started out of a garage and here's a guy you know dropping you know with a bike and everything you know 25 grand with us and it's just uh it's just wild out there but you know we try to be honest fair people and you know that's why people trust us with this stuff you know you can go dig for you know dirt on our shop and look for bad google reviews and aside from a guy that you know, cut a set of grips that he bought off of eBay that were for the wrong size bars in half and then shipped them back to us. And I wouldn't give him his 15 bucks back. You know, that's about the only negative reviews you're going to find on us out there. So that's, I'm going to, I'm going to back you up on this uh, for sure. Cause you know, I'm, I'm buying shocks for me and whatnot. My wife's like, you're doing what? Do you even know these people? They're like halfway across the country. I'm like, no, I think we're good. Yeah. We try, we try. And, and, and lately it's just kind of morphed into, you know, just being like suspension gurus in the triumph market. Yeah. Um, you know, we do we we were doing a lot of performance stuff, um, but just with the way the EPA stuff is going, um, one of my good buddies from when I was in the car scene, um, this company called Full Race Turbo, um, mm-hmm. out in Arizona, and they they do a lot of, you know, Ford F one fifty turbo stuff now. But they started in the Honda game. Like the guy literally built one of our first turbo manifolds, you know, out of his dorm in college, and he just grown it into this huge business. But uh, I listened to a podcast that he was on, and he was basically like, "Listen, if you're." If you're doing these things and you're selling, you're tuning bikes and cars, you're selling emissions altering stuff, cat deletes, um, you know, that O2 sensor delete stuff like that. He's like, your days are numbered. It's not a matter of when you're, if you're going to get caught, it's just when you're going to get caught. So I uh, just made a concert of effort to kind of just shy away from that aspect of it, you know, just to kind of keep my, my business sustainable and, you know, I'm not on one side of the fence or whatever. I'm all about, you know, having a, an environment for my kids to grow up in and, and their kids to grow up in stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not, you know, a lot of people probably have differing views on that, but, uh, <laughs> you know I mean? But it, it came down to me just not wanting to lose my business over, you know, selling someone yeah. a $200 cat delete, you know, cause when they come after you, they come after you hard and it's, it's hard to kind of sustain, you know, with, you know, what they, you know, the fines and stuff that they levy on you. So it, it's the unfair reality um, that motorcyclists are about to be clubbed over the head with that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the officers, whoever they are, can't find all of us. So they're just going to punish the businesses until they get what they want. Yep. And the businesses don't deserve it either, but unfortunately that's what happens. So it, it does suck. Yeah. My biggest complaint is like for the scrambler, it's weight, right? Dumping the stock exhaust off my bike cut 12 pounds. That is a huge deal. And yeah. I want to do the same thing with my WR. That's the biggest issue. Like I have, it's not about emissions. I like quiet and I'm okay with, mm-hmm. you know, trying to re- remove emissions. I just want something lighter. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I, I think there's just some recently, um, I'm really friendly with the owner of Motone, Sam from Motone. 
Um, so we're always just sharing kind of what's going on in the industry and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily a huge fan of me when I said, I'm not going to carry, you know, X pipes uh-huh. and stuff like yeah. that anymore. Cause it's, you know, it's less business for him, but uh, he understands it. You know what I mean? Like he gets it. Yeah. And, you know, he's in the UK, so it's a little different scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, the United States isn't going to go over there and go after him for, for selling these things. Um, but uh, the, the, I think they just passed some new laws, like where I think Zard actually sent me an email because we're a Zard distributor. And uh, that, like, all all exhausts going forward are going to have, like, non-tamperable, like, yeah. um, DB killers and stuff like that. They're offering all their exhausts with, like, built-in catalytic converters now and stuff like that. So hopefully from a weight aspect you know maybe you don't lose yeah. the 10 pounds but maybe you could still lose six or seven pounds you know so yeah. that would kind of be the you know the holy grail and you know for the competition stuff for now still the off-road use only you know which kind of gets abused a little bit and has kind of put us in the pickle we're in i think um yeah. with everyone having an off-road bike that they're riding on the street but uh that's uh yeah kind of got a little diverted there but that's a. Uh, that's just another topic that we could talk about two hours that's, on well, whether you agree with it or not so that is what it's all about, right? Like, I mean, I, I assume, and as usual, please send email to motoadvrgmail.com. Like, I'm assuming most people are there in the garage, they're on the commute to work. I don't know where all they're listening, but I mean, like, I'm always trying to find more content. So please, I this is <laughs> our time to explore every rabbit hole on the way. That's what we're trying to do here, for sure. Um, boy, you covered a lot of stuff back there. Um, there was something about... Um, brands you carry and whatnot i meant to make a point about that that I, I think it's the right strategy and i like where your head is with that um because you know people who are looking for something that isn't necessarily high quality may not be you know you you may not want the problems that that brings from that customer anyway so a solid choice on that um and then i wanted to ask you about those hill climb events because multiple people have said drew why don't you take your scrambler to a hill climb and i'm like well hell i only know devil staircase here in ohio i don't know any of the other events i know that they had what was it appalachian moto jam and some stuff like that yeah that's, that's the app moto jam stuff so i think the last guy you had the, the first spot he was actually talking about them i thought it was cool and in monticello yeah. he was butchering the name but uh he was dead on and uh they're really cool events um you know like i said like our first one we went to we went out there on an airhead bmw and just watched my you know, my buddy that helps me wrench on bikes, take this thing up the hill. And was just, we were just laughing the whole time. You know what I mean? It was just, it's a yeah. good time. It's more, it's not serious. It's a party, yeah. you know, I mean, there's definitely some serious guys there, but the key to those is uh, the majority of them are done in the snow and ice. So these become yeah. snow hill climbs. Um, you know, so we have some tires that we've put together that are, you know, knobby tires with like a one and a half inch, uh, you know, ski sled, you know, ski track um, stud on them. You know that you definitely wouldn't want to get hit with if you fell off the bike or anything. But yeah. uh, it's been fun. We have another buddy, uh, Fast for Fun. Um, he's like a local yeah. content guy. You might have seen him. But uh, you know, he took a Thruxenar and bastardized the thing. And his first iteration was, you know, we did like a handlebarker version on it, and then we put these spike tires on it. And he went out and raced against like a R6 at one of these events. So it's just a, it's just a good time and fun. And unfortunately, I haven't had any, had any lately. You know, kind of COVID came in kind of killed everything fun for a little while there and then uh unfortunately the, yeah. the place has been sold to some new people that are kind of treating it like a like a legitimate ski center and you know a legitimate ski center yeah. isn't going to want dirt bikes and sh- tank shift harleys and crap you know riding up the side of them their ski slopes so it's, it, it'll be interesting to see how that works and that, that's interesting you say that right um because everything off-road exploded here in the Midwest. And obviously, you know, I hang out in Kentucky a lot. So I never thought about that, that as close as you are to New York, it had to be, we'll say different there. I don't know how what it was. So that's, that's funny how you say that. Yeah. The, the off-road stuff has taken off here. Um, 
the problem is, is that that ski center was also one of the local MX and trail facilities in the area. And, uh, they didn't open this year. Um, I guess, I don't know if there was issues with, you know, because it was getting sold or what was going on there, you know, I don't know the in and outs of it, but I know the local community was kind of bummed because it was just a really cool place to go ride dirt bikes. You know, we have very, there's like no legal trail riding in New York for, uh, you know, for anything. So it's, it's very disappointing. You know what I mean? Like with a dual sport bike, you could probably get away with some stuff. Like I could literally, you know, drive out of my driveway where I live in my house and I have, you know, miles and miles of trails, you know, but if, if we ride those on our ATVs and dirt bikes, like right. we do, you know, we know we run a risk of getting our bikes impounded or, you know, if they're not yeah. you know tagged and stuff like that. So that's probably the one downside about the area we live in from an off-road perspective is just that, um, you know, there's nothing, nothing around us, you know, you're going to drive like two hours, two and a half hours out at the PA to go, you know, to go, go kind of do this fun off-road stuff. I'm sure there's, there's like private motocross tracks and stuff. I imagine. Is that right? There's a few, there's, there's two within like, you know, an hour of us, you know, an hour, hour and a half from the city. We're about a half hour outside the city. So if you want to yeah. ride on a motocross track, you either got to go into New Jersey, to raceway park, or, you know, kind of, there's some up in orange County, um, which is still a good hour and a half to, you know, to go ride motocross. So. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I don't remember. Uh, is Pine Barrens. You have to be street legal for that. <sighs> I think it's, it's the same type of thing. You know, it's kind of ride at your own risk. Like they don't want you there yeah. and you know, sometimes they'll be busting balls. Sometimes they won't. I've actually never been there myself, but uh, cause that's, okay. that's like about still about an hour and a half, two hours away from me down into South Jersey. So it's about the limit of my, my knowledge. I mean, I know where the Northeast 24 hour challenge is roughly, but I mean, we're talking like central New York. Right. And I only know on a map, you know, Eastern Pennsylvania is about as far as I've been uh, mm-hmm. via motorcycle and whatnot. I'm going to been to Niagara Falls and that stuff, but that's in a car. It's not the same. Yeah. So it's interesting. So, how are you, how are you setting up these bikes for hill climb and flat track? Uh, to me, that's fascinating stuff. So, uh, so for the hill climb, uh, Definitely don't know what we're doing. I have a really funny video of uh, my, I don't want to offend him, but he's, he's about 6'3", a solid 250, 260 pounds. Um, took our scrambler up the hill when we had, uh, you know, some shocks on the back of it. And it literally looked like a bunny rabbit just bouncing up. The back end was just bouncing and he won, which was hilarious. I think we actually beat uh, One Wheel Wheatley. I think you know him, right? Or, oh, yeah. Ryan's like been on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. He was on an adventure bike there and, you know, we just kind of just got the whole shot on him and that was it. It wasn't like we outperformed him or anything, but, uh, here's two bikes that have no business really going up a, a ski slope, going up each other next to each other. So it was a lot of fun. And then, uh, the last time we took it out, um, just starting to understand suspension a little bit more, um, being around flat track guys. Um, one of the riders that rides for me is very knowledgeable in kind of suspension setup. So it's kind of just trickled down. Um, I also went to, uh, you know, like factory Olin's, um, you know, twin shock cartridge kit uh training down in north carolina Mm -hmm. so i got a lot of perspective on that but i was kind of doing this stuff before then and you know knew the basics you know know how to set sag you know know what rebound and compression do but uh until you and those are those are interesting things but until you kind of really get into real uses of how you would do that street is very different than the off-road you know what i mean i don't have to tell you guys that but um, (laughs) you know but that's kind of just where it's at and you know, just kind of just learning from people. I've always taken that approach to try to absorb and what other people are doing and, you know, take that in and, and try stuff. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, a, a shock has an adjustment on it, you know, know where your baseline was at and crank that thing five turns one way, crank it five turns the other way, see what the rider likes and stuff like that. So it's, 
it's an art and I'm, I'm really curious about where the listeners are with it. Um, cause you know, my buddy Andy comes on the show, we race together, you know, so he's on his Tenere 700. He spent piles of money on his suspension on that T7. Obviously I've finally started to spend the money to do it with mine. And, you know, because I ride goofy bikes or old bikes or whatnot, it's a, a mix of, you know, voodoo and geriatric nursing. Like <laughs> it's, Ain't that the it's, truth? It's tough. <laughs> it's definitely it. Yeah, that, that's probably one of the biggest questions you know we get. Like, uh, you know, we've we're big Olins. Like, we're definitely the largest Olins Triumph you know reseller installer in the U, in the wow. U.S. at least. And um, unfortunately, they've kind of just turned their back on the Triumph market. Um, they're very really they're very Harley Davidson focused right now. And I don't, I don't blame them. You know, they probably sell 500 Harley shocks for every one triumph shock. So basically what will happen is, um, you know, triumph will get a shipment in every two months, six months, there'll be one of each triumph shock in there. And then when it sells out, it's six months to get another one. Um, Mm -hmm. Their cartridge kits, they haven't had in stock for a year, a year and a half on some of these models just due to COVID and stuff like that. So, um, you know, from a business perspective for them, um, it makes sense because you know they could yeah. they could build 500 Harley shocks and they'll sell all 500 of those Harley shocks. It's huge. It's I want I would almost you know I, I'm pretty close with a lot of people at Olin's and you know their main sales main sales like dealer rep this guy Mike yeah. and um you know he was just pretty blunt with me. He's like, listen, you know, he's like, if you tell me that you're going to sell 20 of these in a year, I'll bring them in. He's like, but you got to sell them, you know. And um, yeah. but he's like, you know, and he was just pretty honest like at the training that you know the Harley stuff is just where it's at right now. Um, yeah, which is, seems crazy, but Harley puts crap suspension on all their bikes and, you know, people, <laughs> ask people, me how I know <laughs> people are dropping 1500 bucks on a set of reservoir shocks. And now even, yeah. you know, Harley is rebadging some Olin stuff as screaming Eagle products. Now they sell cartridge kits shocks. So it's just kind of taken off for them, but it kind of left us in a pickle because, um, we had nothing to sell customers. Um, yeah. so actually while I was at Olin's training, um, Dave from Fast Bike Industries um, reached out, saw that I was down there, and was like, "Hey, dude, Dave used to work for Olin's, and um, Fast Bike kind of became a, you know, Olin's reseller. But they would, you know, Olin's doesn't really do unless you're like a somebody, which I'm, I'm a nobody to them. At the end of the day, yeah. I just sell shocks for them. Um, you know, they're not going to build any custom shocks for you or anything like that. So Dave kind of filled that, and he would rebuild shocks and do some custom stuff for you. And he's like, "Hey, man, we're carrying this Nitron stuff now." So I checked it out. And um, I was impressed with it. Um, you know, the stuff is top shelf. And uh, so we started selling it through, uh, you know, buying all through Fast Bike Industries. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, uh, Andriani USA um, kind of bought out Fast Bike Industries. They were also an Andriani dealer and kind of mm-hmm. bought them out to have a footprint in the U.S. and moved to a new, a new bigger location. And then there was like a two and a half, two month, three month lull there where they weren't really doing anything for Nitron. So I just happened to. You know, I was getting frustrated. I thought I had shocks on order for six weeks for a customer and they hadn't shown up. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, we didn't order those yet for you. And I was like, you know, just really bad, bad business because, you know, at the end of the day, me as a reseller, I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm the bad guy because that's what they bought them from. So I, uh, I actually just reached out to Nitron Direct and was like, hey, yeah. um, here's my situation. You know, I'm not going to tell you I'm going to sell a thousand pairs of shocks a year, but um, I'm in this niche market here in this Triumph and you guys carry a lot of Triumph parts. Um, you know, would you be open to setting up a direct, you know, direct channel with you guys. And, uh, they were all in on it. So, um, so it's been a really cool relationship with them. We, uh, we get our shocks pretty quickly now, um, somewhere between two and four weeks. Um, they'll build custom stuff like 
a crazy set of shocks. Yeah, I was going to say, Mazda, tell the listeners yeah, um, <laughs> that I bought my shocks from you and they're special. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, you know, like, you know, there's not many places that I'll be like, yeah, we'll build you a long travel, air-cooled Triumph Bonneville shock that we're never going to sell another set of ever. Yeah. Um, but that's I, a, I wouldn't say that. When you yeah. find this way on the internet, you may get a call. We'll but find the, out. But the best part about them is if I do a custom spec, um, that's no longer considered a custom spec for the second set that I ordered. So we yeah. had some custom uh, tr- uh, Harley Sportster shocks built, um, 14 inch for flat track. Um, for one of we have a Harley flat track bike and, and a Triumph, and um, you know we now sell those as a as a you know a hooligan shock, um, which is kind of nice because you know you know we we kind of you know built it into the price, but you know they do charge you a hundred bucks to to make anything custom, which yeah. I still think is a pretty fair price in the in the oh, grand yeah. scheme of things. Um, you know, to make you a total, totally custom spec out shock. And um I know you're still tweaking them and setting them up, but it seems sounds yeah. like they're working pretty well for you already. Oh, so I, I, well yeah, and let me let me dump more stuff on the listeners here about that. Uh I mean, first of all, let's see, I got those um what were they? Olin's S T thirty six or something like that. I think that's what I got from you. Um, so stock length. So for any Triumph twin listeners, stock length I think was 360 for the Scrambler. I think it's actually 365, but I won't argue with the internet right now. <laughs> um, so I bought those 375 millimeter length from you, which actually had a plus 10. So they were 385, and they were great. I loved them, raced them off road and whatnot, but they were still street shocks. So I was like, I want to spend the money and get as much travel as I can. And like you and I talked, we did we did 385 millimeters to get maximum travel plus they. Uh, I'm assuming they made some changes in the head end because the piggyback gave us a little extra space. Mm-hmm. And so we got extra travel out of 385 millimeter shocks. So now if you want five inches of suspension travel, a solid inch over what you can get from the factory, you can give Brian at A&J a call <laughs> and, <laughs> and throw some money down and get you some piggyback shocks for your Triumph Twin, uh, which on a scrambler with uh, with a taller front end, I have the plus 30 kit, you know, uh, and that, yeah, it, it handles great like i said i'm I, I need to beat on them some more i got them late in the season so unfortunately it turned winter and i got real busy real fast but yeah they're it's night and day on the asphalt for sure it's just a matter of getting it getting it tuned in right for the offer yeah i'm looking forward to you know when the spring comes around for you and getting some more feedback on those so part of our nitron deal we uh we talked to them and i was like hey man um this is a very niche market but are any interest in flat track suspension stuff because like I said, there's not a lot of, you know, Penske does some stuff. Um, it's really hard to get a hold of them. And it's it's kind of, I feel like it's such a small market for them that it's like, unless mm-hmm. you have an in there, like I tried to get them to like lower my kids KTM 50 for me and I couldn't get any mm-hmm. return phone calls or anything. So I just went with another guy that does it. I'm like, would you guys be interested in flat track stuff? And they were like, yeah, what do you think about these 43 millimeter forks that we sell? So they basically sell like a, you know, in like three different lengths, billet lowers, um, you know, complete fork you know to compete with like an olin's fgk wow. or whatever it is you know but uh so you know didn't get them for free i paid for them but didn't pay a lot for them and um so we run them we we basically gave him some specs that we wanted from my from one of my riders he's like and it made no sense at all to me he sent me like three lines he's like i needed to this is how i like my shocks like this this and this and i'm like okay i'm just gonna send him what you sent me yeah. um whatever he said to them was more than enough information for them to actually send us a set of shocks and these forks that we bolted onto our flat track bike and it's totally transformed the bike it's like he's like he's like like we've made like one little tweak on like the compression and and rebound on them but uh as far as like everything else it's been like perfect so it was a it's been a cool experience we didn't get the race as much as we wanted to this year um but we have a you know really big race coming up in florida uh called the winter throwdown 
Um, and, and last year it was kind of funny. Um, you know, I had two riders for, for me, three riders, actually one guy, um, my buddy Ryan, who does the hill climbs for me. Um, and then when we built the triumph, um, we hooked up with a young MX kid who had just started dabbling with flat track. And we're like, Hey man, uh, actually Sean from fast for fun hooked us up. And he's like, Hey man, if you need someone to ride that bike, I got your guy for you. And, um, like I said, I don't really ride that much off-road or do any flat tracking and stuff. So hooked up with my buddy, Nick and, um, just a ton of raw natural talent. Um, and we went out and, um, you know, we really, we really did a lot in a few years on the flat track bike. Um, super proud of it. We won four championships. Um, went from showing up at races, like to being like, who was that? That just, you know, took the heat, (laughs) it took the heat win, like totally surprising people, you know, to like, literally like we went to any race, we started traveling to like Ohio and stuff like that. against like top dogs and, you know, we're like finishing in the top five, top six, top seven against like yeah. guys that have been doing this stuff for 10 years, you know? So it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, unfortunately he, uh, you know, we had a very bad start to our hooligan season this year, um, where three guys got taken out in helicopters, um, from wow. the first race. And, um, it wasn't fun as a, as a one, a team owner, I guess you could call myself yeah. a team owner, but, um, I'm just doing this for a hobby. And, um, my buddy Nick has, you know, three babies at home. And then we just kind of looked at each other and we were like, you know what, man, this stuff is worth it. You know what I mean? It's a little different. And, yeah. and he's doing a lot of like single track and stuff like that now and Enduros. Um, but it's a little different than flat track, you know, going into a turn 90 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour next to someone. And, you know, if you lose control or someone bumps you, you're going into a guardrail at 100 miles an hour, you know? So, um, yeah. So we kind of, and even custom, it's the 450 pound motors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we're not racing DTX bikes, which is, no. you know, a 450 in, in the flat track world and, uh, you know, or these, or framers and stuff like that. So we're out there on bikes that aren't meant to flat track, just like you're out there scrambling a, a bike through trails that you know, <laughs> Triumph didn't have in mind what you're doing on those bikes when they built them. So, um, yeah, so we, he just kind of stepped away. So I threw my other guy who rides the Harley. He had, I think he blew it up on me four times in the first uh, year and a half. And the Triumph was just sitting there ready to go. And um, I was like, hey, man, why don't you take this down to Florida? So we, he literally pulled it off the trailer. Um, and at that time, we just had Olin's stuff on it. We had Olin's, you know, basically the same shocks you were running originally, just um, mm-hmm. in a little shorter length, 340 millimeter. They're actually like a customer return shock. Um, customer wow. bought them, didn't like them. I was like, send them back. You know, I'm not going to fight you for them. Before you fight you on it and uh, slapped them onto this flat track bike. And then uh, we actually had an Olin's cartridge kit on it. And uh, he goes out and I'm, I'm talking the guy had probably had five. This is my buddy, Ben had probably had five laps at a practice on that bike. And he goes out to the biggest hooligan race of the year and uh, is a top qualifier in qualifying on this bike. Awesome. And uh, so it was a really, really cool experience. Like I'm following along with like a timing app on my phone. And uh, I was like, holy shit, man, just went to the top, you know? And, and he, he spun the fastest lap the entire weekend on the bike. Unfortunately, um, he blew a fork seal <laughs> on the first day of the yeah. event. And uh didn't have any spare parts there. You know, he was on his own. I wasn't down there with him. And, uh, you know, it just once the fork seal went and later on, we had found out that not only had the, the fork seal blown, um, the cartridge, the nut on the bottom of the cartridge kit that kind of holds everything about together just kind of fell off. So all this, uh, so that basically one fork just wasn't doing anything. It was just the spring. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think he got two forts. Um, but you know, that was like our first showing with him riding the bike and we've, you know, this year was a cool year that we did some uh, AFT racing, which is a professional series for flat track. Um, they ran some hooligan races local to us. So we got the race at Middletown in New Jersey. And uh, I think we got a, a fourth and a fifth or something like that. But again, these are like yeah. top guys in the area. And, you know, we're a little down on power. These guys are running like 100 horsepower sportsters and we're racing against yeah. former pros. And, you know, my buddy 
it's definitely not working out. He's going to drink beers and smoke cigarettes, you know, after the races, that's kind of his, his hooligan workout. He, he's kind of, you know, he gets made into memes all the time and stuff like that, but it's, it's just been fun. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're going back down this year with this new suspension on the bike in uh, January. And we're, we're really looking forward to seeing how this bike works. You know, we, ref- we freshened it up a little bit, got him a little more power. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I'm, I did a disservice to the listeners because I probably should have defined flat track. I want to think most people probably know what it is, but just in case they don't, uh, it's, it's old school oval racing, uh, which obviously Harley is very well known for, but essentially like here, like County fairs and whatnot, occasionally still have flat track oh, yes. guys show up and I, you would, you know, the sport better than I do. I've been, and that's why I want to tell listeners like, Hey, look it up. Like flat track racing does not get the press that it frankly deserves because it's real grassroots, you know, pretty raw American off-road racing. Yeah, it's 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 virtually street bikes. Yeah, it's the original extreme sport, is what they what they label it as. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. it's uh, people been doing it since the beginning of time, especially on horse tracks. Um, but the skill that some of these guys have to control these bikes, yeah. especially out in Ohio, you're lucky. You have a bunch of uh, all those uh, horse tracks are called uh, cush yeah. tracks, pea gravel, um, yeah. stuff like that. So it's like a loose gravel mm-hmm. that you're riding through and a lot of those guys are like full full tilt on the throttle the whole way around the track oh, on yeah. those bikes and it's it's insanity um yeah unfortunately flat track yeah, the, the back wheels just stepped out pretty much the whole time yeah the, the the pro stuff is kind of um we'll call it sputtering along right now um we actually mm-hmm. just lost uh the factory ktm team so the guy won the championship and then he found out like a month and a half ago that that you know we're not we're not going to run running wow. uh you know the pro series anymore which is kind of bumming uh, the Yamaha team, you know, reduced the number of bikes that they're doing. So we're, mm-hmm. it's in limbo right now. Harley Davidson pulled out a few years ago. Indians pulling back. Um, but it's the talent that's over there. You know, I highly recommend anyone. I think they're on like FX1 or something like that or Fox Sports. Um, definitely just watch the races. I mean, it's still the most exciting, in my opinion, just for, you know, the eight minutes or 10 minutes that they're on the track. It's a lot yeah. of excitement and stuff like that. And, wish it would get bigger but um you know we're doing we're doing it at a grassroots level and at grassroots level it's it's, it's still humming along so it, it's a that's a great conversation obviously since we have time to talk about it i i've i mean i've had my buddy Alan on the show we've debated motocross versus cross country and whatever i i'm a woods guy I, it's cheap it's close I, I mean i'm a member of a club that's 12 miles from my house. It used to be one mile from my house, you know, and you know, it's vicious, just clay covered rocks, gnarly, terrible stuff, but it's approachable to anybody for an affordable price. Whereas locally, if you want to race motocross, you have to join a club and, you know, do a lot of work and maintain a bike and some other stuff, which yeah, you have to do that in woods racing too. So to me, I see flat track in a similar vein, right? Like there's all these, you know, big star big draw advertising type companies and whatnot but flat track is a it's a county fair event and has been forever so i hate to see what you're running into but it, then again this could be a cleansing to get it back to what's important maybe you know better than me tell me yeah so no so like i said our focus has always been on the grassroots um we were running a ama vintage nationals um yeah. so it just so happened that it lucked out that uh you know, our nineteen nine, our, our sorry, our two thousand six Scrambler was the cutoff for a class they had called nineties vintage one thousand, which was for yeah. twin cylinder bikes. So we were under a thousand CCs, and we were a two thousand six, which was the cutoff. Um, and we had to be carbureted still, so you couldn't couldn't do any fuel yep. injection stuff in that class. And um, so the bike just happened to random. You know, I didn't pick a two thousand six because of the rules; it just happened to fit into the rules when we built the bike. So we kind of yeah. lucked out there. And um, and it was kind of nice. We started off in Florida, 
hit quite a few tracks, you know, quite a few tracks in Ohio. We hit Ashland, we hit uh, Greenville, um, two horse tracks mm-hmm. out there. That, that's where I went to watch in Greenville. Yeah, uh, just amazing facilities. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the first year we went there, like I said, we, we were just trying to qualify. You know, at that time, the Hooligan Series was one series that kind of traveled the country. They didn't really come east too much, um, but they – you know, Greenville was like the closest they were coming to us that year. I'm like, you know, let's go see what we wow. got. And, um, you know, I think 28, 30 guys. And we made the main, we were one of the top 12 bikes. Yeah. And, um, I think my buddy was running in like six for a little while. And I'm like, Holy cow, this is crazy. You know, like we're, you know, we, the bike is just working. He's loving it. Cause he's never been on a horse track, full throttle into turns yeah. and stuff like that. And, then uh, you know, so that was what we did. And then when we were doing decent, we were in the lead for the points. It was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to travel with this thing a little bit. And we actually had a vintage triumph 750 that we were racing yeah. to. And he was like mopping up on that bike. He was just, we'd go anywhere and he'd be, you know, top one or two guys. And then unfortunately we munched that thing up mid season. So he bought an excess 750 to run for a little mm-hmm. while. And that thing was a total pile of crap, but it was just fast. You know what I mean? So he, he, he actually liked that back better than the triumph. Um, wow. you know, we traveled around and then towards the end of the year, we went out to Springfield, um, Illinois um they run the amateurs on a little short track that they built there in like one of the coliseums and then you know for two days and then they would do two days at the big mile you know I think it's a I don't even know if that's necessarily a horse it's definitely a horse track but I feel like they race cars on that thing too it's like this huge mile it's like a legendary the Springfield mile you know in the flat track world it's it's the track um yeah and you know we had a great first first day um second day we made we made the pro hooligan main again and um unfortunately last turn coming to the checkered flag um the 450s were tearing up the track putting holes in it the pros are racing with us that day um and my buddy came into the turn and just if the kind of thing just pogoed and popped him off and uh spent the night at you know the the er and it was just not a fun end to the season you know what i mean but luckily we had built up enough of a lead that uh you know we won the championship in both classes so it was kind of cool i think we he had to literally just stage the bike, you know, go up to the starting line the last race of the year to clinch it. So, you know, here, here he is with a back brace with his leathers on, you know, it's just the, the sickness of that is motorcycle racing that, uh, you know, <laughs> it's don't have to I mean, tell it's you it's just how it. it is. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, same thing, right? Like if, if the listeners have never watched on any Sunday, you need to go watch it because yeah. flat track is so prevalent. It, yeah. and, and what you just said is from 1969 you know, on a Sunday. It really is like racing with broken whatever to win this championship. Yeah. yeah. So he, he had like a, a broken bone in his hand and he had some fractured vertebrae in his, in his back. And, you know, the plan was, dude, you know, we didn't race the first day. He was just going to go out the second day. And, you know, the bike was smashed up from, from this event. And this is only like four weeks later or something like that. Yeah. Four or five weeks later. And I'm like, you know, we had just had like a stock front end on it. Like we didn't have this bike prepped to send it whatsoever mm-hmm. it was like all you're doing is taking the starting line and just put around at the back of the track well every giving any given sunday you know kicks in and next thing you know here he is running like second place in this event and he's like full sending it and i'm like i'm like you're an idiot what the fuck are you doing you know what i mean like <laughs> dude like you're not even healed up like but that's just the sickness that it is you know what i mean it's yeah. like the adrenaline is there and you know, these guys like got helicoptered out, like they just can't wait to race again. And like, to me, it's like, you guys are crazy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the one guy almost died, you know, this is our buddy Richie, you know, and it, that's what made me like take a step back this year. Cause I'm like, 
this is a buddy that when we when we showed up at the track like opened up his arms and was like hey man how can i help you guys and you yeah. know what do you need from me and he's been doing it for 40 years so it's all he knows you know what i mean and it's like the other day he was reaching out to me asking about like hey man can you get me a new bell helmet when i'm ready and i'm like yeah dude you know i want you to have the best helmet he's like yeah that thing saved my life yeah. at the track you know so um but to me i'm just like man just it's just it's crazy like i don't get it because i don't i don't compete <laughs> in that world but i get it because i competed in like the drag racing world with my cars yeah. so i get what that addiction is like and the rush that you get in you know what i mean and there's way west way worse things you could do in this world um you know than race yeah. motorcycles and cars and stuff but uh you know it's just that that passion and just continuous draw of sucking people back into it is uh just blows my mind and every old guy like that's the cool thing about the vintage stuff it's just you know it's yeah. a really cool crowd it's and i'm assuming that a lot of the stuff that you do you know, and the adventure stuff and the hair scrambles and stuff you're doing. Um, everyone is just there to help everyone. Everyone is nice. Yeah. And that was like when I kind of took a step back from the flat track, that was what I missed the most about it was just the people that were there. You know, yeah. like you make friends with all these people, like from the kids that were racing with my son to, you know, the, the guy that's 75 years old that's still out there freaking ripping around a vintage, you know, Rotax or something yeah. around the track. And uh, it's just like a, it becomes a big family. And that, that's been the biggest you know, and I'll still go back and even just watch even if none of my guys are racing, just because just miss miss that camaraderie and, yeah. and hanging out with just good people, just genuinely good people. But the point I was trying to make there is there's that guy that's 75 years old limping around the pits because his leg has been put back together five times, you know, and, and stuff like that. It's just, it's crazy. And, you know, like I said, I, I know people get hurt doing the stuff you're doing too, but it's just like, you know, it's like, how quick can I get back out there? You know, it's crazy. It's it is an incredible incredible sickness. I've I've witnessed quite a few of the cross country racers on actual dirt bikes, especially. But, but you know, I've watched them the same. You know, and amateur pro guys. And I say that that sounds horrible. They're racing pro. They're racing for money. Um, but they're they're predominantly in smaller series, not racing AMA. But still, those guys like it is exactly that that you know that they're racing with a, a broken whatever, and you know they might have appendicitis or whatever. You know, like this <laughs> wild stuff that they're dealing with, and they're just still racing you know, got staples and stitches in and all that other stuff. And it's like, yeah, the addiction is, is incredible. Uh, and it, I think every motorcyclist gets it. So for the, for the listeners benefit, like, yeah, some coworker walked up to me and met me in the office the other day and knows that I ride the bike to work a lot. It's like, I, so-and-so got hit by a deer yesterday. I can't believe, how do you ride a, dirt, a bike? And I'm like, hell, that's just a street bike. You haven't even met my racer friends. <laughs> yeah. They make me look normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's like the weird thing is, um, you know, the dangerous side of it and it's like it just you just throw cautions to the wind and it's like you know i since the incident happened with my brother i kind of just took the approach in life that like when it's your time to go it's your time to go you know what i mean so yeah. you know riding a bike walking across the street getting hit by a bus like you know that person didn't think they were gonna die that either and you know you definitely put yourself in higher risks and higher chances and i'll be honest i don't ride anywhere near as much as i used to before i had kids um just because i have you know actual living beings dependent on me sure you know earning a living and keeping a house over them and stuff but uh you know you try to be as safe of riders as you can on the street but um that's why when you said like street or off-road like I feel like off-road is way more safer. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you got to worry about the tree that jumps out in front of you that you're off course that you run into, but you know what I mean? It's not too many times that a bear is going to come knock you off your bike or you're going to hit a deer and stuff like that. So, you know, that's kind of why the, the track stuff kind of replaced a lot of the street riding for me. And even yeah. though I wasn't riding there, it's still an adrenaline rush when you see people being successful on, you know, these jalopies that you put together, you know? 
It's um, it, it's weird you said that because I've been a street writer for a long time and became the off-road guy and then went kind of nuts in that. Um, but I was literally going to work the other day and people were finally getting crazy enough. Downtown Dayton's been under construction for almost two decades now, and it's worse than it's ever been now. Um, and it's it's a mess going to work, and I work downtown. Um, and it was funny that I actually had that thought, like, huh, would I have rather been on a motorcycle right now than being in this car? Because people are acting dumb, so I got to think about it. Um, and, and it sounds funny, but I actually think um, beyond the uncontrolled environment, it's um it's how complacent i notice i get on a street bike because so many things are routine and they are consistent like the harley man it really messes with me when i ride the sportster it holds a straight line like perfectly like you don't need to steer it just does that and it makes you lazy because you don't have to pay attention like on the triumph you look left the damn bike turns left like you can't do that right but on the harley you can do that all day so you get complacent and that's when dumb stuff happens that sneaks up on you. And I've started to notice that. I'm like, yeah. And it it also starts to push me more toward wanting to be away from cars. Yeah, no, I I totally get it. Um, With me, it just comes down to a lot of time. You know, I don't have time and, you know, I wish I was, I wish I just, you know, with having a full-time job doing this, this, you know, this motorcycle shop thing on the side, um, you know, I wish I had more time to be involved in like the local moto community as, as a whole, you know what I mean? Like there's a really cool scene in the city, you know, there's bike nights every Tuesday night in this, in Brooklyn. Um, they're awesome. But for me to get where I am to Brooklyn, it's not a fun ride. You know what I mean? It's, it's driving through the city, you know, it's misery. It's, it's cars driving like animals, it's potholes. It's, you know, it's just, there's nothing enjoyable about it. And the few times I've done it when I got home, I was just like, yeah, I don't want to do that on a regular basis. So, um, but yeah, it's just, a, it's kind of the, the street stuff, how it goes. And I totally get people that are like, so, so the funny thing is, is, um, the two guys that ride for me, um, hooligan bikes, neither one of them have their street bike licenses. They've always <laughs> just come up through riding dirt bikes, riding flat track bikes, and, you know, never really did much on the street and, you know, have had bikes here and there, but they just got the permits and they never actually got the license. So it just makes me laugh that like, you know, two of our top East coast hooligan riders don't even have motorcycle licenses i don't don't think you need it for the actual track but hopefully you don't (laughs) that's fascinating um as as you can imagine when we show up on adventure bikes to a dirt bike race you know the people that know us you know they love it and we talk and we go back and forth uh but people who haven't seen it before like their eyes are wide open like why would anyone show up to race an off-road race with a 500 pound bike so i'm trying to imagine a person who grew up on dirt bikes deciding to get on a 500 pound bike and race it. Like, cause most of us came the other way, right? We came from street bikes <laughs> and decided to race adventure bikes. So I'm like, yeah, what, what makes a kid on a 250 pound 450 or a 260 pound 450 go, you know what, let's race a 450 pound street bike in a circle. Yeah. That's a very, very valid question. <laughs> and I don't have an answer for that other than the hooligan stuff is kind of kind of niche for amateur flat track racing because they usually have payouts and they're usually decent payouts and that's kind of created a little bit of a an issue because now you have some like recently retired pros and stuff that have built some badass bikes and it's kind of just gotten away from what the nature of hooligan racing is so hooligan racing um you know the term hooligan like when we race these hill climbs like we're racing in the hooligan class so it's just basically meant to be like a street bike that's not meant to do this. You know what I mean? That's what you're out there mm-hmm. on. And, you know, the hooligan, the original hooligan flat track stuff was like literally people showing up at the track on like a street tired Dyna yeah. or a Sportster racing out in California. 
um you know no business at all being on a slippery dirt track but these guys are descending these things around the track and it's hilarious you can go out and watch some old like rolling sands videos and stuff and then it's oh, kind of just got they're classic i was gonna yeah, say yeah. i need to i need to post links because some of those are amazing <laughs> yeah and then you have another big event which is like flat out friday which is like um combined with the mama tried show out in uh was that wisconsin yeah milwaukee mm, i think that's right yeah and, uh you know they, they basically run inside the milwaukee butts stadium there and uh on a on a concrete thing and you know the highlight of that night is they have like a goofball class or i don't even know what they call it but it's like you know a couple of years ago there's a guy with like a homemade porta potty riding around the track and you know me and my son were just sitting I've here just that. just crying you know and the, the video's been all over the online and then there's like another guy that looks like hulk hogan riding like a wave runner dirt bike and uh it's just a lot of fun but then there was like there's like a serious aspect too and a lot of the hooligan guys would go there and stuff and so the, the attention that hooligan has gotten and you know there was some harley davidson support for a little while there was some x game support for it um yeah. is it's it's kind of become like a pro amateur class almost you know what i mean and uh there's money out there now you know like this week there's yeah. a big race down in florida and you know i think each race has a 2500 dollars payout overall and then for first place for the week it's going to be a three thousand dollar payout they're paying to the top five the, the guy that comes in fifth place yeah. for the week over the top over the three events is going to get a thousand bucks that's going to draw the the former pro who's you know who wasn't making any money racing in the pro class you know and and that's kind of the issue we have right now is it's it's probably growing a little too fast for yeah. for some people and you know the guys that are at the top are like looking back like, Hey man, you guys need to catch up to us. And then, you know, the guy, the top guy right now in the country is, I know it sounds crazy. I think it's like an F 800 BMW and you know, the guy's a smart guy. He's a, he was a really yeah. talented pro and he's got an awesome bike. And, you know, I think he's won every race he's come to in the last two years by at least a half a lap. And it's, you know, his, you know, his look at it is all oh, these other guys I'm pushing I'm making the class better, but you know, turnouts have gone from 15 bikes to six bikes locally because people are like, you right. know what, I'm not going to donate to this thing anymore. I'm, right. You know, it's just so there's, you know, and I'm sure that happens in a lot of these different series and stuff like that. And, you know, it's one thing to drive an hour to a track and race against this guy. But, you know, am I going to drive to Florida to race against him when you right. know you're racing for second place? Um, so it's it's interesting. Fascinating parts of racing everywhere is, and that's what people say. Once the money gets involved, you're going to bring out those types of people that are going to take it super serious. And and, and I'm not going to act like I show up on a jalopy bike. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, as I had said earlier in the podcast, I, I don't do anything half-assed. So like, when we came out to the track, like you know, we had a trailer, we had tools, we had spares. You know, we were we were taking it serious ourselves too, but we were just not doing it on a dominant platform. We were doing it on an air cooled yeah. scrambler. You know, we had no advantage over a Harley Sportster other than maybe being about 25 pounds lighter, but that was about it. But we gave that all up with the torque that those guys had, you know, on a stock bike. Um, but yeah, so that's just uh, more rambling and ranting here, but we're talking about moto, so it's all good. <laughs> no, it's, it's relevant, right? Cause it's funny you said that. Cause you know, last season, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 2022, I'm the adventure class champion and we never had more than four bikes. Uh, this season we started out and we had a good field, you know, four or five pretty early. Um, but then I wanted to get some money involved and we went from, you know, four or five, six bikes to 12 and we raced 12 bikes wide, uh, at a really tight track <laughs> and it was best track of the year. Everybody loved it. Uh, but you're right. You know, everybody came out of their woodwork with any bike that could possibly qualify. And that, that's what we wanted. Right. But it is amazing how that happens. Um, and it makes me think of it, right. Like, um, I'm going to change the topic slightly only to make a point that uh, Teddy Blazuziak got denied from racing in the new Enduro cross on the new star Varg. 
they brought that ruling down within 24 hours. Like they, like the night before they changed the rules so he couldn't race. Right. So in that world, right. Where rules trying to, you know, like you need like a class for vintage for like ex pros. Right. And you need a class for never raced pro so that it's kind of fair and it keeps people showing up. Right. And, you know, there's a, you know, you, people should be able to protest. Right. And be like, Hey, I'm Joe Schmo from Dayton, Ohio, and this guy's ex motocross pro. We're not the same, and you know, and have the ability to to report that and keep it fair. Um, but then again, yeah, then then you get into as you and I are getting an inside baseball about flat track right now. We're going into how Harley had to manipulate the rules to compete against all the other brands <laughs> and blah blah blah. Right? Yeah, and, it, and it's <laughs> always been that way. And you know, everyone says less rules, less rules, but yeah, there needs to be. You know, I'm a firm believer there needs to be some. And then, you know, like I said, this BMW that's running, you know, like he went to Lima, which is not too far from you. Yeah. That's another oh, yeah, real horse close. track. Yeah. And uh, they ran the hooligans with the pro with the pro series out there this past year. And I'm pretty sure on his hooligan bike, he would have qualified fifth or sixth in the pro twins oh class. So that kind of yeah. it kind of brings to to light kind of what we're dealing with from uh, from, a, you know, yeah. some guys that literally just started this thing locally, just you know, drinking beers in the pits after the races, you know what I mean? So like this guy literally is on a, on a weapon out there. This thing is a weapon. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, we'll see where it goes from there. Um, you know, like, you know, we're personally not doing as much racing, you know, I'm not going to directly say it's because of that, but, uh, there's definitely less incentive to go, yeah. you know, travel around. I think they had a, like a 12 race or a 10 race East coast series this year. I think we only made four, you know what I mean? Yeah. And all the ones we went to, we, we got our asses cracked at it and, took our lessons and came home, but we, we know we don't have a bike that's going to beat this guy heads up. You know, they've set some rippers out there. You know, one of the guys, it's actually a Harley guy that my, one of my, you know, that my main rider used to ride for, you yeah. know, has, he helped build these like top shelf Harleys, these sportsters that are, you know, they're, they're legit, they're weapons, they're yeah. Harley weapons, but you know, that guy has been putting pro former pro after former pro out there trying to chase this guy down. And uh, it's just, they're not even getting close. So, wow. um, so we'll see. But the other it's, the other interesting it, it, thing about flat track, sorry right. for cutting you off, is uh, no. Royal Enfield is like <laughs> the only um, factory backed flat track team in the pros this year, which yeah. is just mind blowing. And um, they do some really cool stuff. Uh, they do like this build train race thing for girls, yeah. uh, for female riders, and it's you know it's to see that grow from being like a couple of fast you know fast girls out there on the bikes. You know the first couple of years they did it to like last year there was like literally like any weekend there was like four or five girls that showed up that were ripping. They were they were pulling flat track. They were pulling lap times faster than some of the hooling guys and stuff. And uh, to see it take that level of competition, and I think it's you know, uh, you know we do we dabble with the Royal Enfields a little bit, but um, you know I just I love to see their passion for it and the fact that they're like all in on it and and yeah. you know to keep it real like their their bike is you know it's very far away from what a factory Royal Enfield is with the engine package they have to make it competitive sure. and stay together. Um, but the fact that they're like all in on it. And um, they have this guy, Johnny Lewis, that's kind of like the, uh, you know, their brand ambassador from a racing perspective. And he's just a really good, solid dude that actually, you know, is grew up in Pennsylvania, not too far away from us. And he's just you know, just a solid, solid person representing that brand and really pushing it and training. Just like if you know, one, yeah. of the things, one of the things that people don't realize about flat tracking is and, um, and I kind of sound like a poser here because I don't do it myself. But <laughs> you, you hear from everyone, though, like, you know, as a team owner, though, I feel like I'm. You know, like I've just learned a lot about it, but you mm -hmm. talk to these riders and, you know, if you have an opportunity to go take like a, like a, like American super camp is, I think that's what it's yep. called, right? Something yep. like that. Um, 
But if you have an opportunity to go take one of those, it's very flat track centric. But people from MX take that, people from road racing. Yeah. And if you look at like some of your top road racers right now and in the past, like, you know, Nicky Hayden was like, a, he came from flat track right. racing. And here's a guy that was the only American MotoGP guy to do anything, you know what I mean? To win a championship. Um, uh, and even, Kenny Roberts raced flat track. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you have all these people that, and, you know, like right now we have this like kind of new thing going on with a buddy. I can't talk about it a whole lot, but he, he just became a customer of ours like four or five months ago. And he's, he's really focusing in on amateur motocross racing. And mm-hmm. he's trying to put together these like compounds that encompass everything for amateurs, um, provide turnkey bikes for people that are going to go to Loretta's and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a little foreign to me, but, you know, I kind of told him, I'm like, you want some people that have flat track experience in there training those kids. Yeah. Cause the top MX guys, you know, Justin Barsha comes over and does flat track training. You know what I mean? Like those guys know right. that there's, you know, there's, there's skills to be learned there to control bikes and stuff like that in situations yeah. that you might not necessarily get if you're just doing moto all the time. Um, you know, so we're try- I'm trying to push him, trying to get him to help out, you know, one of the pro teams this year a little bit. We'll see where that goes. But uh, if this stuff takes off, uh, like I said, he's a really good customer of ours. We've, we've worked on a couple of his bikes and he wants me to come work for him. I can't, you know, I can't give up my day job. <laughs> it's just, you know, I need the benefits. I have a really good job. So, yeah. um, you know, I'd love to, cause that's where the passion is and anything moto. I, you know, trust me, if, if I knew everything was going to be okay, I'd, I do this full time, but, uh, you know, I just, there's no reason to struggle. You know what I mean? If I can do this on the side and, and still be successful with it, you know, putting in 20% effort of what I can actually have for bandwidth. And, you know, it would be fascinating to see what I could do with it hundred percent dedicated to it. Yeah. But, uh, that's just how it goes. But yeah, but flat track stuff, I recommend anyone to take that American super camp training and, and Johnny Lewis, that's kind of where I went there is he offers the training too on Royal Enfields. You know, they get out there on some of those like 400 Himalayans or something. They converted the flat track bikes yeah. and, uh, you know, they have, schools around the country like i highly recommend <laughs> just go out there and have fun and you don't need to know anything about it that they literally just take people don't know how to ride a motorcycle out there and show them how to do this stuff so it's definitely recommend it's, it i mean outside of speedway racing which is its own animal right like yeah. you, that's you another level track that's means... another level of nuts <laughs> yeah that's, <laughs> yeah that's moto gp a flat track essentially yeah. um you're managing traction virtually 100% of the time you're trying to go as fast as you can knowing full well that the rear wheel is not consistent with movement. It is stepping out all this other stuff. So you're just managing traction in a loop over and over and over again for however long the heat is like, yeah, that the, the lessons learned there. And then I think of um, even listeners that don't follow MotoGP have probably heard of Valentino Rossi. Valentino's always running around on that 450 or whatever it is with dual 19s flat track wheels riding around on he's doing left and right tracks he's essentially doing flat track on a gp course because that's what makes you faster yeah and we actually had one of our pros uh this guy jd beach um he used to race for factory yamaha he's actually not going to this year well loosely factory on his team called essence in racing um but they you know they had some factory backing from yamaha and uh, the flat track season ended early this year, and it gave him an opportunity to go. Uh, one of the guys, unfortunately, had gotten hurt. I don't know if it was Cam Bobier or something like that over. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you follow Moto America at all, but I've started to get into yeah, it just so from much. just from Moto stuff. Um, sure. I don't, I don't necessarily want to say the baggers brought me into it, but the bagger stuff is interesting. And we could probably yeah. have a three-hour podcast on whether racing baggers on a on a on a track is is cool or not but uh you're doing good you're back back to back podcast this topic has come up keep going <laughs> but it's but it's but it's from people that are over there that i you know that i hear through listening to podcasts and stuff is it's it's bringing fans it's bringing a whole new yeah. fan base to that that are now getting into the road you know the legit yeah. you know, i don't want to say it's not legit because you know 
and it's funny because most of the top guys that are racing the baggers are all former flat trackers. James, right. James. Oh, Rispoli. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, James yeah. Rispoli, the Wyman's, all these guys were all flat track guys. Uh, mm. You know what I mean? So it's, it's cool to see them have success and, and make like a legit living now. Like James Rispoli is, you know, he raced a Harley XG750 and won a championship on that bike, which was, he was, you know, I granted it was Harley back then they threw the kitchen sink at it, but he was definitely, that's not a good bike. I'll just put it at that. No, I was going to say that bike is way behind. I follow enough flat track to know that the XG750 is not exactly the XR750 by a long shot. Yeah, they've made good strides in it, but they just pulled the plug on it because the Indians had the upper hand on them. And they were like, listen, we're done. You know, the XG750 was actually a production bike based, whereas the Indian was like a blank sheet of paper, build a bike to whatever we want. So they just got, they tapped out of it, which is kind of unfortunate, but another conversation but you know here this guy went from racing that thing to, to i'm assuming making a you know decent living to racing for vance and Hines last year and then now he's like one of the factory harley riders which is just an awesome opportunity for this guy yeah. and he's like the nicest guy in the world like he has his own podcast and you know you can just tell he's like a genuinely good dude so it's cool to see people get opportunities whether it's racing baggers or you know gsxr 1000s or whatever it is you know so You've you've successfully completely changed my perspective of the bagger racing. So well done, <laughs> sir. I, uh, it, it, I don't. It's weird how you I you uh, you unknowingly tapped into how I love flat track because of what it is, even though I don't follow it because it's so grassroots, and tied it to something that I totally didn't understand. And went, huh? Now when I look at it in that light, that it's bringing a whole new fan base to road racing. I I can't celebrate that more. That's a good yeah. idea. You know, so like now you have like guys in turn ten you know, Harley guys with beards, you know, drinking beers with their cooler underneath a tree, trying to get some shade, like cheering on these guys, you know, and it's, you can yeah. see the growth of it. It's, I think they're running at eight events this year. You know what I mean? Like it's, they're, they're, they're onto something and, you know, all the manufacturers are in, you know, Olin's is all in on it. You know, all the, all the major companies are trying to get in on this. Vance and Hines basically ditched their whole flat track program for bagger racing. I'm sure all the Harley, wow. all, the, all the Harley flat track stuff went into the bagger racing too. And then they also run super hooligans there. So that's why I kind of, that's what started getting me into Moto America. Um, I'm not a huge fan of super hooligan racing because it's, it's become the same thing. Explain where, it to me. Cause he, even I don't know what that so is. So super hooligan is Roland Sands. So Roland Sands used to run some hooligan stuff. So he, he, okay. he, he was the first one that kind of put together like organized, like, you know, four race series, very west coast based so it never really made its way to the east coast or into the midwest um but like i think it was three years ago his hooligan series which was always called super hooligans was two flat track races on dirt and then two road races and then this year it was all road races so it's basically a lot of ktms they actually have an electric bike um but what's really happened there which is why i'm not a huge fan of it is it's pros from other classes racing these bikes now. You know yeah. I mean? Roland Sands doesn't have, you know, like my buddy Nick, who's a local dirt bike guy that's been racing dirt bikes five years on these bikes. You know I mean? It's not that. It's these pro yeah. guys that are racing baggers and other bikes running these cool bikes and they're flying and, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're street bikes. You know what I mean? Like, let's, yeah. let's not kid it. It's not a, you know, they're very serious, but it's not like a full race prepped, like just Jixxer 1000 R1, et cetera, you know, Ducati. Um, but it's very popular out West. So they get 30, yeah. 40 bikes to come out to an event. And, you know, there's really, they have an air-cooled V-twin, like sub-race within it. So the top air-twin yeah. V-twin, you know, usually doesn't come anywhere near the front because the KTMs just run away from it, you know, run away with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely take a look at it. And Moto America is growing, and <clears throat> they're on point with, like, their social media presence and stuff like that. Like, good. they're building brands out of their riders, which is, you know, which is a good thing. So, uh you know, I would definitely recommend tuning in and, and given the bagger stuff, 
a chance because the racing is actually really good. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the bikes are pretty even, and it's like, you know, granted it's only Harley Davidson Indians, but um, you know, like I said, it's the racing is competitive. The riders that are on the bikes are are all good, solid dudes. They're actually getting a chance to one make a living doing racing. Yeah. So anyone that can make a living racing is, you know, to me that's aces across the board for those guys. <laughs> you know, for anyone, yeah. anyone has to be happy for someone like that. And then, you know, second, like I said, it's it's new eyes on on motorsports. You know, yeah. you know, mo- we'll call it moto sports. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, I look at all things two wheels as, you know it's all good. That's how I look at it. You know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a fan of all of it. And I definitely wasn't in the beginning. So I get, you know, some people be like, ah, you know, fuck that, that stupid baggers racing. You know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> like I say, give it a chance is all I would say. Cause I was kind of in that same realm. And then now it's like, you know, I tune in and watch it. You know what I mean? They have probably the best live streaming package out there for their events. And I haven't been to it in person, but you know, I'm going to make an effort to get out to New Jersey this year when they, they come through town to, to see it in person. It's it's enlightening to hear you say that because one I don't I don't follow Moto America um, and obviously since you were not present for the last podcast recording the baggers themselves seem to be such a departure from the stock bikes and they're really I mean a bagger is already expensive combined with everything they've done to it so it is one of those things to your point right that like these these are motorcycles that are out of touch with the average person and that's why I am a hooligan guy that it, the, and I meant to say that earlier like what the, to me the draw to hooligan racing is you can buy a 2006 Triumph Scrambler for $4,000 throw two grand of suspension at it and still be cheaper than a brand new 27 like you can do these yep. things right and that's why it's approachable and I love that and the bagger the bagger thing is out of touch with that um but like you said, I, I can't complain. If we are putting new eyeballs on American motorcycle racing, I don't care how it happens. That's a that's a win for all of us. So in talking to some other people, and I'm just giving you a little different perspective on the bagger stuff, is the stuff they're learning over there from a suspension and an engine package is actually making its way back into the factory touring models. So into awesome. like the top of the line, like Screaming Eagles and stuff like that. So I think they're running like 131s or something like that. And, those, and I'm not a big Harley guy, so don't get me wrong. And sure. I'm not trying to shove this down people's throats but it's probably the first time where not necessarily you know win on sunday sell on monday is applying but the technology they're learning is making its way back into what's going on the showroom floor and you know you write some really good um you know just uh blogs about you know the you know how harley is you know their business model is not sustainable you know what i mean like you know it's not winning their customer base is eventually going to die off is the realities of it um but right or wrong, if you want a badass bagger that makes 130 horsepower from the factory now, you can thank those bagger guys for for making that happen. You know what I mean? Solid. So, so interesting perspectives on stuff. And like I said, uh, you know, as a guy that owned a bagger, we're going back 12 years ago now. I'll probably never own another one in my life, but yeah. you never know. You know, so. Well, it's it's relevant you say that. So, I mean, I'll I'll tie back to some previous stuff you said that I was talking about commenting on. I I think. As a guy who just bought an Evo Sportster in 2021, um, and I have every plan of calling you in the next probably five years going, hey, uh, remember those Nitron shocks? Yeah, <laughs> I need those so I can scramble this Sportster, right? But I have a suspicion that between before I get there, obviously everything's already been done to those things. But I think that there's people my age, you know, late 30s, I'm 40, you know, are, are getting into harleys and they want to customize them and they're stupid cheap right now if you, if you anybody listening if you want to scramble a sportster and don't really care about road manners you can buy a solid mount 
pre 2002 Sportster for two thousand dollars right now. Like yeah. if you if you know how to wrench, you can get them super cheap. Yeah, um, there's a guy that I uh, helped out a little bit. So I'm a big fan of helping little guys out in the scene. So um, you know, I threw some some money up for one of your races this year. Um, yeah. There's a guy out in California that was soliciting, you know, some donations for gas money to get to races in the West Coast Hooligan Series, and you know, I was like, hey man, I'm all in, you know. But this guy Rich Silva, I don't know if you know him. He's he's a California guy, but he runs a hooligan bike. Um, but he has a really badass, like I call him dirtsters. He has a really, yeah, you know, that that's, compete- that's what we call yeah, that, he, that he's basically <laughs> competed in like the built well 100 on and stuff like that. And yeah. I just love the bike. Like, and I like, yeah. I'm like, I actually wanted to build one for my buddy, Nick to do some, because unfortunately in the East, in, in our area, um, he was going to do some D seven think stuff this year, I think, you know, some hair yeah. scrambles and stuff like that. And that, that's um, a local New York, New Jersey. Yeah. So New Jersey, yeah, it's their right. hair scramble series. I, I know it because I'm, I'm friends with a lot of guys that race it, but for the listeners, yeah, it's what they, they call the local. Yeah. I know D six for flat track is, is PA pretty much PA base one okay. New Jersey race, but I feel like it's D six and no, it, it might be D six is New Jersey too. Cause I think okay. D seven is actually Maryland. So my bad on that, but yeah, Maryland for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, they were doing like a BDR run with just sportsters and like, I wanted yeah. to build one for my buddy. I'm like, you know, and unfortunately it was only for sportsters cause I would have got my scrambler ready to go for it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if it was open to air cooled twins or whatever, and that's kind of what we've run into locally is the triumph is like an oddball bike that no one's thinking about. And they put these rules together. Like we've showed up at some hooligan races and it's like an all Harley class. And it's like, Hey dude, can we run with you guys? Wow. Like we're here to, we're here to race. We have no advantage over you other than I got a 150 pound ringer rider yeah. on this bike, which is, yeah, I guess a pretty big advantage to have against, you know, these guys that are 225 pounds, but, uh, but yeah, but, uh, you know, that's on the short list of me is to build a badass long travel suspension. And, and this guy has given me actually like kind of the recipe of like, well, here's what you do with the forks. You reach out the race tech and you buy, uh, African American fork springs for a CRF 450 front end. That's what I run yeah. on my bike. And I'm like, okay, so I have all this, I have this list of stuff that I need to do to, to build this bike. And it's just a matter of, like I said, with everything, it's just time time and building one yeah. but uh you know like you know i think harley sorcerers are just awesome bikes you know what i mean like they're like you said they're so obtainable for anyone oh, to go out there and just have fun with it and, and they they're they're very reliable as long as you don't try to rev them to 7500 rpms like we do on our flat track bike because i you should know, stop doing that yeah. yeah we've blown we've blown a lot of shit up and my guy is pretty hard on bikes and uh that's why the bikes are just sitting there right now. I think he's actually piecing it back together to bring as a second bike with us down to Florida right now. Um, but yeah, they're, they are super reliable bikes and heavy, but a lot of fun. And you know, the yeah. dirts their stuff. There's, there's a guy like Jordan with a V, I don't know his name, but there's a, you know, there's like a local guy that in PA that has like a badass one and he's always, he has really good content and stuff. And you know, there's just a couple really cool, you know, there's yeah. out there that you're like, man, I think it's just badass looking, you know, like, I don't think you and I've talked about it. Um, obviously, I helped my buddy Jeff build uh, a dirtster, uh, Hugo Moto. You may have heard of them. They were kind of doing this like one-off, like you bought the package from them. So they were tied in with Andriani doing four cartridges back then. They were doing like snowmobile shocks because nobody really had mm-hmm. 15 and a half or 15-inch shocks back in the day and some other stuff. So we built that thing. So I was pretty well-versed in it. Um and I've pretty much been sold on the idea ever since. He had a No. Three solid mount. The thing weighs it's like four hundred and fifty pounds or something like that. Like it's crazy light when people think of Harley's. Yeah. Um. So I, for the listeners' benefit, like that's a thing. Like you can hate Harley's, 
go ride a, a <laughs> remotely decent Durster of any kind, anything with aftermarket shocks, go ride it off road. And it's not a dirt bike, but if you're not giggling like an idiot yeah. on that engine, I, I can't help you. Like it's just stupid fun, even if it's slow. Yeah. So has anyone talked about like the Harley stunt stuff at all? Nah, no, if, yeah, if you're tied in, hit me up, man. No, no, I'm, I'm not. But like, we have some local guys that are just really good at it, and um, I follow him on Instagram, and he's like got this thing called Concrete Cowboys, and he's like literally traveling around to Harley dealers around the country, doing it for a living, and it just fascinates me what these guys do. And it's, I feel like it's really big on the West Coast, really big on the East Coast, and yeah. then that's it. You know what I mean? But uh, just still fascinating what these guys do on Sportsters and Baggers and stuff like that is is just wild. So, like I said, not my market, not my thing, but I just didn't know if anyone had had brought well, it up in the past so it's gonna be your customer base though <laughs> like like that's the thing right like you said it i'm like no i've seen these guys kind of on instagram and you're right here in the midwest especially we're like a decade behind mm-hmm. in the east coast west coast right so it's coming um and that's why i think it was what it is i think when enough of these guys have finally sold their bar hopper i think younger millennials because i'm like the oldest millennial like but when the younger millennials come in um assuming that the economy doesn't you know bank or bankrupt every one of them i think they're going to pick up all these old sportsters and go nuts with them the way that the uh the 80s hondas got cafeed out like crazy yeah. which is probably by the sounds of it when you kind of got into your shtick like yeah. you really hit your stride i think is right as that whole thing was going nuts yeah and then you know triumph just came to the market with like you know a factory cafe racer basically with, with right. ruxins and stuff but uh you know so believe it or not is um when I was still out of my garage, I started on a CB550 Cafe Racer project, top okay. shelf, and uh, unfortunately, it still sits on the shelf in a bunch of different pieces and the frames at my uh, <laughs> at my fabricator's place, just waiting to be painted. And it's like, you know, now if I came out with that bike and built it like the top shelf, you know, the way I'd want to, it probably wouldn't be, you know, received that well anymore because the stuff's just kind of dying out a little bit. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe in five years, maybe that stuff is cool again, and then that's when I'll pull that bike back out, you know. But let's. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, it's a joke. Um, I can't boil inside baseball. Like, the for the listeners, right? Like, my brother's nine years older than me. So I was born in 1983. My brother's born in, do the math, uh, 74. And so I'm a child of the 80s, even though everybody's like, how do you remember the 80s? And like, well, when your brother's nine years older than you, you're exposed to everything that's in there, right? But that's the thing is, is that 80s motorcycles are about to become like vintage to millennials because i'm like i love triumphs but i don't know any of these old 60s 70s (laughs) triumphs and you know you've had the customers right you've met them on the flat track like you've met these guys that you know live and breathe these things but millennials are gonna probably look back you know to those 80s hondas and go wow those are amazing those are what gave birth to the bikes we have today we know (laughs) nothing about them right yeah you know i i know enough to know the electronics are shit on virtually all of them so <laughs> it's a good thing yours is in pieces because you're gonna have to rewire the whole yeah, thing it, it took me a while on your carburetors versus fuel injection because um i'm torn on that like <laughs> carburetors when they work are awesome and our, and our, and our flat track bikes are all carbureted um granted they're yeah. running you know uh you know fcr 39s on it and stuff like that but i i actually have on a lift a second triumph flat track bike that i'm building with um with a max max ecu with fuel injection with a set of daytona yeah. throttle bodies and um again no time to get this bike going but that was supposed to be my second triumph for my second rider and the bike just sits there and it's gonna be a total insane monster whenever i have time yeah. to finish it um and you know just to put in perspective we we did this throttle body setup on a 904 triumph using all of bill from bill gately from bonneville performance hey. 
explain nano four to people that don't so know. so all the triumphs for the most part are either 790s or 865s in the air cooled world so some of the early ones were 790s and then basically everything is an 865 from 2004 or 2006 I think. yeah something like that yeah. um but we built a bonneville se using a lot of the parts we run on our carbureted bike and that bike doesn't make the power it should for some reason yeah. on the dyno it makes like 72 and you know Bill Gately is the air-cooled performance um, guru in the United States. He used to do flat track racing, you know, at the pro level with a Triumph out there. The only guy out there doing it. Um, Never had a whole lot of success, but, you know, did have some top qualifiers and stuff like that and had some really badass riders ride for him at times. Um, But just a really smart guy, and he kind of just plays with it on the side. And so, you know, all of my cylinder kits and head porting and stuff I get out of him. Well, I had a a local customer that wanted to – hop up his street bike and um bonneville se like a 2010 so that's like early fuel injection so not mm-hmm. can bus so early fuel injection and um he works with a guy called weiss performance out in california that makes these you know people have been running um daytona throttle bodies so daytona is a triple cylinder bike and they basically take yep. two throttle bodies and they make some adapters and they bolt them onto a triumph that's been happening for a while um but this guy's actually like making a bolt-on kit for these that literally you just bolt oh, onto man. your bike and, um, you know, new fuel rail, new everything, new injectors, you know, balance from RC engineering. And, um, we built our first bike and the thing made 96 horsepower out of an air cooled triumph. And I haven't gotten to ride the bike yet. Um, from what the guy says is it's straight sketchy. You know what I mean? Luckily the guy has upgraded brakes and stuff to handle it. But, um, just to put it in perspective, a tuned, um, Thruxton R, which is a 1200 CC water cooled, way better technology than that those make somewhere between 90 and 94 usually on a dyno the original wow. rs the newer rs's make like 100 but this bike is basically making more power at the wheel than a thruxton r yeah. in a chassis that the reality is just isn't meant to handle well, you know what i mean like <laughs> for the listener's benefit it, it was 68 horsepower at the crank yeah according so probably to like Triumph probably like factory, 52 right? with the wheel so this right. guy literally yeah, almost like not doubled his horsepower <laughs> and uh so so that really brought to light to me the the benefit of fuel injection and i've always known the benefits yeah. of fuel injection and and stuff like that but that's why i was a little slow answering that but um i'll tell you something that'll make you hate carburetors quite a bit and i know you had joey zito who's he's actually worked on our vintage triumph <laughs> race bike uh he's he's a really solid dude I've met this, him. this is a tall order for you so hit me <laughs> so uh you know he'll barely he'll disagree with my statement here but um when we first opened up our workshop um you know we didn't have any client base locally really couple of triumph owners that wanted to do some work and uh you know so we were just a general repair shop and it seemed like the only people that wanted to come to us was people that had 70s honda cb 750s and i could tell you for a fact that when you've had about six hours of your time and you've had a, a rack of four carburetors on and off of the bike about six times and the bike is still running as shittily and i don't know if i can curse on this pod as the second yeah, you brought yeah. it on you quickly realize that you want nothing to do with working on vintage hondas or stacks of four carburetors. And I will stand by that. Yes. And there's vintage guys out there for that. So, like, we get a lot of calls because we're Triumph Shop. Hey, will you work on our 1970 this and that? No. We sent him to Joey down at, uh, yep. you know, he works with Dave at uh, Classic Cycles now. I, well, at least he was. I'm pretty sure he's still there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's where I send all my vintage stuff. Like, yeah, no. You know, and Dave and Joey built a badass, um, you know, aluminum cylinder, which in hindsight we now know is a legal motor for the vintage 750 class. But, yeah. Um, you know, billet crank, Carrillo rods, you know, this thing made like 65 horsepower on a, on a vintage 750. That's a pretty good feed. Yeah. And, and Dave was like, listen, I know you don't want to blow this thing up. He's like, we definitely could have 
tightened up the squish and everything else on this. He's like, but I want this thing to live for you. And it now just sits at my shop on the second floor as like an <laughs> artifact now, because I'm like, you know what? I can't race this thing anymore. Cause um, you know, the motor was, uh, you know, it had five digits in it to build this motor for this thing. And that yeah. was, that was with him, you know, doing on the side and giving me parts for costs and everything else. And I'm like, this is a totally different animal and I'm not munching this thing. So it just sits there. I have it up for sale, but no, it's your point's valid, right? Um, it's ironic, right? Again, 40, right? So my first carburetor is a, is a two stroke, right? A 2015 Husqvarna two strokes first carburetor I was ever exposed to. And it was electron, which for listeners that don't know, that's like a cheater carburetor because it's a, yeah. it's a technology that comes from the air, um, aerospace or you know aviation industry and it's meant to not be adjusted and it's like super uh i guess you could say reliable or it tunes itself essentially so to speak not exactly but don't worry about it um but then it it was the same thing right like my harley is awesome because it's one carburetor for two cylinders (laughs) it's not performance it's reliability and simplicity that's the part that i like about it right and i have the quote luxury that there's an electronic rev limiter in it so i don't blow it up um (laughs) i find that frequently after getting off my triumph that revs to 8,000 no problem (laughs) so knowing my throttle happy rider nick who i've talked about on this um i can guarantee you i probably have the only vintage triumph that ever hit a flat track that actually had a rev limiter on it um, (laughs) we found this tri-spark unit they're top of the line one they're a company from uh australia but uh dave the guy that joey works for yeah. Um, you know, he, he's like, Hey man, I think this is what you need. And sure enough, it works. And you know, we're the only triumph yeah. out there sitting on a limiter going around the track. But I was like, you know what, this is an investment for me. And I yeah. know my rider. And at the end of the day, those bikes pull and pull and pull until they don't, you know, what yeah. I mean? without a rev limiter. And, uh, so it's kind of just a little, little funny sidebar there. And then, uh, so the other question you asked was like two stroke versus four stroke. Like I love yeah. the smell of a two stroke. I love everything about a two stroke except troubleshooting. Why isn't, why one isn't running. That's kind of where it comes down to with two strokes for me. Um, so one of our other hill climbers that we built was a uh, was a '70s Titan T500. Um, so you know, rocket ships for the time, drum brakes. You know, and uh, oh, yeah. one of my one of my early customers had two of them, and he's like, "You knew I wanted one," and he he sold me one for cheap, and you know, we ended up putting knobbies on that thing and sending it up this hill too, because who the fuck's running a T500 Titan up a hill climb? You know, <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, but that's kind of my relationship with, so it really shaped the shop, um, working on vintage bikes. I realized very early on that, um, while there's money in there, if you're really good at it and I, you know, I don't consider myself to be this like ace vintage motorcycle guy, you know I mean? I know how to set points. I know how to yeah. take carves apart and clean them and stuff like that. But sometimes there's just more into these bikes that, you know, the guy that's been working on for 40 years knows. And, you know, I don't, yeah. you know what I mean? There's only so much information out there on, on eBay and, you know, you know, I know it needs fuel. I know it needs spark, but why is this thing still running like crap? You know what I mean? Like, so it's, I mean, it's funny to your point, right? Like, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer full time. So I love nerding out about suspension because I understand the math, but it's still voodoo. Like it's, it's still an art. Like the people that do that are like, Oh, I just need to change this shim or that shim. I'm like, I understand what you're saying, but I don't know how you know that. That's amazing. (laughs) And carburetors to me are the same, right? You know, if you're going to tune any, any eighties four cylinder or God help you a CBX with six, uh, you're yeah. you're some kind of you know voodoo yeah. doctor. We we have a guy uh, locally in New York City called the Lurk Shop, and he's like he's like the local. You know, he works on everything, and he's you know I've never met the guy. Um, I just follow him on Instagram, and you know he'll 
once a week he posts like ask me a question i'm always asking him questions and stuff and just fascinated with the responses and goes a really down-to-earth guy but he knows his vintage bikes um and that's who i send all the carburetor work to i'm like yeah this is your guy yeah. for this type of stuff yeah it's i mean that, that's the thing right like if you said balance carbs hell even if i said balance throttle bodies to most owners today they have no idea what we're talking about so, so luckily for the for the triumph world which is where i live with carburetors still like we yeah. still have you know a few years of bikes that we work on that are carbureted and sometimes have the same love-hate relationship i have one local customer's bike that uh we finally just got running a little better but um you know it's a very finicky bike and um but there's like a tuning guide out there by like jenks bolts i think it's called or something oh yeah and he literally has the recommended jetting for like any setup you could think of in the triumph twin yeah. cylinder world you know like uh, two number two washers underneath the needle and a 42, you know, 42 idle and a 150, you know, main or something like that. And, nice. and I basically use his as a guide and it's been pretty dead on for anything we've done. Yeah. And then I have a leather, I have a local tuner that messes with our race bike because it's, you know, we're running, you know, we're not running 93 pump fuel in these things and stuff. And I just, right. you know, there's a guy that's like a theoretical tuner. That's only an hour away from me that just knows his stuff. So I'm like, yeah. you know what? It's worth every penny to go to this guy. And, you know, he tunes 800,000 horsepower turbo boosts and stuff like that for drag racing. So every time I go there, it's like a learning experience too. It's like, yeah. you know, he, he's basically like, okay, as long as you wrench, bring your bike down. You know what I mean? So he's the one operating the dyno, but when the carbs got to get pulled off to rejet him, it's me pulling them off and he's making recommendations. And it's, uh, it's been really cool just having that kind of, you know, having a shop that'll open up the yeah. door like that to you and, and let you learn too while, you know, while he's doing his thing. So. Yeah, and you you you're talking about triumphs earlier. I don't know how much time you spent uh riding that EFI triumph before they souped it up. Uh obviously my scrambler is my favorite bike in the garage. You know, there's three others in there and I've others have come and gone, right? But it's still my favorite. But the throttle response is fucking terrible on that bike <laughs> from the factory. And it's still not good, even remapped with what I have right now. So you're right, you have to throw hundreds of thousands of dollars or not. Yeah. you have to throw hundreds of dollars at it to make it decent so i couldn't imagine when you throw thousands of dollars what it could actually be like but it's like no nah, yeah so, so that bike we, are just smooth we actually run for that for that fast we actually run a power commander on it because yeah. the reality is is while that while that ecu is fully tunable um it's got the most um wonky interface so if you've ever tried to tune a bike with tune ecu it's like it, it, you might as well be tuning a set it's of terrible. carburetors. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Yeah. So I, I give props to anyone that properly tunes bikes on Tune ECU. Um, that's an art on its own. Um, I tried to have a local like car tuner that you know tunes any ECU out there, um, tune a bike on Tune ECU for us. You know, and um, you know, like six hours into it, he's like, "Yeah, dude, this is the best I can get it." You know, and the bike was still running like wow. crap. You know what I mean? Like, um, just not user friendly. So to make stuff easier on tuners, you know, we kind of go to Power Commander still. You know, they they work. So you just buy a six hundred dollar power commander, plug it into the Triumph, and yeah, they make them for for Triumphs. You know, the new ones yeah. are not as good as the older ones because they're they're adding some EPA stuff to them and they limit right. you know how far you can go on the range. But the uh, the older power commanders, you could do whatever you wanted on it. You know, timing and fuel, which was kind of nice. You know, so we would wow. just throw a you know throw a base map in there with like a higher rev limiter that Tunis Zio will let you do. You know, because huh. the heads and stuff are all you know able to be revved higher than you know. I think we're revving these air-cooled bikes to i think we rev our race bike to nine thousand actually and the only thing yeah. we've and, and in talking to bill who's who's blown hundreds of these things up probably right um you know he basically said the stock crank you can't really rev past nine grand and the only thing we've done on our race bike is uh 
that same guy that does these throttle body kits, um, he makes, or he did make a run of, uh, aluminum oil pump gears. So it's kind of scary. You probably wouldn't, wouldn't rev the crap out of your bike if you knew that it was, had plastic oil pump gears behind the scenes <laughs> in there. And, uh, we actually just bought a, uh, we had a customer that came in with a, with a real wonky, it was an older Speedmaster. We don't really work on Speedmasters, but he was a local yeah. guy next town over. And I'm like, you know what? I know you're not going to find anyone else here that's going to figure this out. And, you know, so I'll take a look at it. I'm like, you know, usually with stuff like that, I'm like, you know, listen, I'll look at it for two hours. Let me run through my diagnostics, you know, check some yeah. electrical stuff. And, you know, if after two hours, we'll make a decision if you want me to keep moving forward, but I'm not going to spend 10 hours on a bike if, you know, sure. if I don't think we can get it running. And it was, it was pretty weird. What had happened is he had bought the bike from the local dealer used He'd had it and you could, I don't know how long the bike sat outside, but it was rough when it came in. Um, he said he started the bike up to go out for a ride one day, went in the house, fell asleep on the couch and it let it idle for five hours outside and the motor actually blew up on the thing. So scared the hell out of me. I'm like, that's a sound. Listeners can't see how big my eyeballs are on that bike. Sounds so crazy to me. So, um, in troubleshooting it, um, you know, the majority of those older air cooled bikes and even the fuel injected ones the they had a, a wrong value for the crank position sensor gap on it so i think their original value was like 1.0 millimeter or you know one thousand whatever it was but now it's recommended to be 0.8 um so those sensors just go we've literally had like thousand mile 2015 thruxtons come in with you know with no spark just dead and it's a hundred dollar sensor sent it on its way huh. so we bought the replacement sensor for for what we thought was in the bike and the weird thing about it is when we got when we got it installed it we went to plug it in we noticed that the guy had cut the plug off and the plug wasn't the same so i got to think and i asked the guy and i'm like can you just send me them he bought the motor on ebay i'm like can you just send me what motor you got from ebay and yeah. he got sent a 2010 motor um, his bike is a 2011 so come to find out the crank sensors are different on them because yeah. it's new old efi new efi um, yep. So we had the jalopy because the, the actual mounting spacing is different on it. So people are kind of getting way too much details about a Triumph <laughs> right now. Um, but we had to kind of just drill the holes bigger on the sensor. We got it on and the bike started huh. up and purred. Um, but in the process of that, I'm like, hey, man, could you just bring your, you know, I didn't know what his original motor looked like. I'm like, could you just bring your old motor back and I'm going to pull the sensor off of it and try to use that. And I was going to pull the crank pulley too, because I know the carbureted and fuel injection crank pulleys are different. Um, and not the, the rotors, not the crank pulleys, the rotors. Um, that's that's what the sensor reads off of. Um, but what we found out is the fuel injection ones, they're the same. The rotor, you know, this big part that's spinning around and the sensor is picking up on, but the sensor is different. And the spacing for the sensor is different. So we got this bike running. Well, he drops this, this he brings this motor to the shop. And the guy that did the motor swap for him had already bastardized all the electronics on it. Um, but we just kind of been using it for parts of the shop. So we needed something for like a clutch basket or something. We literally pulled the engine cover off and those plastic oil pump gears. And this is a really long winded way to get to there. We're oh. in like 50 pieces inside this engine. So I don't oh. know if, if those just got really hot and gave up and that's what caused the yeah. engine to blow. Or if they were just a catastrophe of this thing, just, you know, just basically seizing itself. But uh, it's a, it's an interesting interesting story and uh at the end of the day we had a happy customer and i i think i sent him home i, I took the motor on a swap because at the end of the day the head is probably still good the cylinders yeah. can be used for a core and i you know i said i'll give you a 100 bucks for this thing it's just going to sit in your backyard and rust so he was a happy guy and uh but that's kind of the, some of the oddball stuff we get at the shop just being you know the local we'll call it modern triumph gurus you know so well and in, in in a world of you know buy new and replace right 
like it's cool that you're offering listeners this you know like back behind the scenes knowledge of stuff that it's like hey we're replacing this stuff we're refurbishing it we're we're pumping it up to whatever obviously uh there's a few triumph twin listeners i know for sure but i mean i'm a kid in a candy store right because everybody's <laughs> like wow Drew, you got eighty-three thousand miles on your scrambler what are you gonna do i'm like well when it blows up i'm gonna board out to 900 like that's yep. that's just what we're gonna do right yeah no <laughs> so definitely it's like I'm, I'm taking notes over here <laughs> and uh you know and a lot of people you know the nice part about the triumphs kind of like the sportsers is they're getting very obtainable you know i, I think my favorite yeah. thing to follow on your instagram feed is just one the deals that you find out there and then the dreamers out there. <laughs> the dreamers are probably more funny than the deals. Cause it's like, um, you know, we didn't get much into my, my off-road, um, you know, skill sets, but, uh, I did make a valiant effort to revive my off-road, um, dreams. I've always had a dream of being able to like competently ride a dirt bike mm-hmm. in the woods. And, um, so I want to say it was, so my son, uh, was getting very into dirt bikes. He was racing flat track, racing CRF 50 KTM 50. We've gotten him a 65, yeah. um, so I was like, you know what? I want to be able to go ride in the woods with him on a dirt bike. So I went out and bought a CRF 250L from the local dealer. It was a used trade-in. Um, I have a really weird story in that I I buy all my parts for my business using this Harley-Davidson credit card. Um, and with a Harley-Davidson yeah. credit card, you get stuff called a Chrome Cash. Um, that's how your rewards are. My wife hates it. My wife would love to have, you know, I, let's just put it this way. Like I average a lot of reward points every month with this because I'm basically right. any vendor I work with they charge the parts on this card. So it just adds up and I, I pay it when it comes in and uh, I don't pay an ounce of interest on this card, but I get a ton of rewards points. Well, they can only be used at Harley dealers. So uh, luckily my local Harley dealer Maroney's is also a power sports dealer. So yeah. they accept this Chrome cash rewards on anything I want to buy. So I bought my son his first CRF 50. I didn't pay for it. It's KTM 50. I think I paid for about 80% of it. Um, I bought awesome. myself some quads. Well, I had a bunch of rewards points. I bought this CRF 250L for myself with these rewards points. Um, you know, at the time the market that's, wasn't. Uh, that's like $5,400 for the listeners. Benefit. Yeah. I, I, this one was pretty clean. I think they gave it to me for about four. Like they were definitely hooking oh, me up. I, I bought like so much you. stuff okay. for them that I have a really good relationship. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was a yeah. 2017 or something with very low yeah. Yeah. very clean so they i got it that way and um you know one of my mechanics that helps me and another guy the, the mechanic had a, a wr 250 i think or you know a 250 but a peppy 250 and then uh we went out with another guy that had a, a drz 400 and they took me into the trails on my first ride on this dirt bike and i think they tried to kill me i'm not gonna lie like they had me <laughs> going up and down these hills and doing stuff that when i look at it now in hindsight we do the same trails on the quad i'm like I don't know how these guys got me to do this. And funny enough, I didn't get hurt that day. I didn't even dump the bike at all. So it was kind of like a miracle. And I was getting more comfortable on it. I actually bought an Olin suspension for the bike because I'm a fat bastard. I'm like 270 pounds. (laughs) Um, So I'm like, yeah, it needs a little help. Yeah. So I had bought uh, some front springs and stuff and I had bought some shocks. And of course, Olin's didn't have them in stock in the US. So by the time they got them, I was my first round of dirt bike racing was over at that point. So then I, uh, I went out for a second time on the bike with, same guys, they were riding three wheelers. One of the guys had a dirt bike and just took a little tiny spill. I was trying to go around the edge of a mud puddle instead of going through it. And just the front wheel washed out. And, uh, I took a handlebar to the chest. Um, nothing crazy. Um, I was going through some health stuff at that time. Um, yeah. Battling some thyroid cancer stuff. And, uh, I go in and get my scan and they're like, Hey man, you got this like nasty bruise on your lung, um, or your rib. And they're like, has anything happened lately? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I just, fucking went over to bars and ate shit on my dirt bike two days ago so it's pretty pretty sad that it showed up on this like crazy i think it was like a pet ct or something showed up they're like we're just gonna monitor we don't think it's anything because we've never seen thyroid cancer in someone's rib before but uh my wife looked at me and like 
you should probably rethink this again. So I, uh, I got my eye on some other street bike and sold that. And then a year later I was determined again. I'm like, no, I'm going to do this again. So I talked to Steve, I talked to some other people. Everyone's like, for your weight, you don't want to get a, a KTM 500. Um, cause it's going to be just too much, even though you probably could use the power when you get more used to it. So oh, I ended it's... up with a EXCF 350. Everyone said yeah. it's the bike, you know, for that. It and is. I, I feel like a total cheese ball in hindsight. I got this thing ready to go to war. Full skid plates. There's a guy that sells a, you know, an EJ tuner for it with a intake tube and, you know. Uh, you don't half-ass anything. You mentioned that. No. Nah, so I, uh, I had this thing ready to go and I rode it back and forth uh, to my house a few times. It never saw dirt. And again, I was like, you know what? I like dirt bikes a lot, but I'm six foot five. I'm 275, 270 pounds. Uh, when I eat shit, because it's not if, it's it's when I eat shit out there. Like, I got to yeah. go to work. I got to go to work the next day. You know what I mean? And I'm like, so I just came to the realization that, you know, maybe riding dirt bikes, and I'll probably get a lot of flack for this from your your core listeners, but uh, I just yeah. come to the acceptance of, you know, maybe it's just not for me right now at this point in my life. So I sold that thing to some guy, and he got a smoking deal because uh, he had something ready to go. The only problem is uh, the suspension was set up for my fat ass. I had brought it down to uh, <laughs> We have a really good uh, WP uh, shop uh solid performance yeah. oh, i don't know yeah. if you've ever heard of them yeah and evan oh yeah i'm sure listeners and, and they set me up and uh just something that i just want to throw out there because we were talking about suspension but uh one of my flat track podcasts that i listen to is tra- tank slapping podcast and um okay. they have a they have a patreon account now where they're doing some like really cool like behind the scenes like setup stuff and uh evan just did like an hour and a half evan from uh solid performance did like an hour and a half uh podcast with them about suspension setup and um you know, he kind of knew nothing about flat track when he started, you know, working on some of these factory KTM bikes and stuff like that for flat track, but, uh, a very fascinating, fascinating listen. It might even be worth just to spend the 10 bucks to listen to that podcast. Cause it's, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. It's, it's a really good one. Like I said, you have to be part of their pay- Patreon to get it, but, uh, it's a really good insight from him on just kind of, you know, all sorts of different stuff and the importance of, you know, what all that stuff is doing on a flat track bike. And I'm, like I said, suspension is suspension. The stuff's applicable to anywhere in my opinion, you know? Well, it is a big deal, right? I mean, Andy and I specifically, right? Because we race together and we hang out a lot. And as you can imagine, um, you know, you know, a lot of people in flat track, but compared to the motorcycle community, it's a small niche thing. And it's the same when you want to do some of the most aggressive adventure riding, riding it's available. You're now making a niche into a niche, right? So anyway, we debate a lot, but I'm, I'm a nerd. Like I'm, I'm super into it. Right. And I just, I know that spending the money or at least spending the time to tune the suspension turns a frustrating ride into a fun ride and it matters. Um, and again, I'm taking a bike that wasn't designed to do this into a niche where so few people have ever taken it. So it's like, I got to do the homework. I just have to, <laughs> it's, I got to suffer through it whether I like it or not. Cause I'm not getting rid of this bike. I'm spending the money on it cause I love it. So I got to learn the shit. So it matters. A lot, a lot of sure. trial and error. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it must be easy to go like motocross racing on a 450 because <laughs> it's just a turnkey package. Like, you literally, like, you know, send your forks to this guy. And, and it's sort of like that for the 450 stuff in the flat track world. Um, but, you know, doing the stuff you're doing, doing the stuff that we're doing with the hooligan stuff, like, that's how I wanted, I wanted to bring another brand of shock. Like, unfortunately, Olin's, you know, just doesn't doesn't really have a shock that works for flat track. Um, they're just too short. You know, the Harleys actually need a 15 inch shock on the back to get them at the proper height. And Olin's doesn't make anything. So I'm literally on my one bike, I'm running a set of Olin's with like, um, a set of spacer blocks on it to raise yep. it up an inch, you know, and, and, uh, that guy fast bike had said, you know, we can make them a 15 inch shock for you to send us the shocks. But I'm like, you know what, let me just 
invest some money. You know, I spent a hundred bucks on these kit from, you know, use hand built or something. Someone made them um, just yeah. to make sure that the height is right. You know what I mean? But, you know, really everyone in Harley world is running these like RWD shocks, Russ ornament design. And he's, you know, he's like a custom bike builder and he builds some shocks. But slow, it's, slow down. You, you said Russ ornament design, Russ ornament design. So RWD, he's like, he makes like okay. fenders and stuff. And for some reason he, okay. you know, I don't know who actually makes them for him, but he makes these shocks, you know, they're, they're private label yeah. from someone, but there's like no adjustability on it. It's got like one adjustment on it. And I'm like, yeah. there's got to be, and it's, and it's a reservoir shock too. So I'm like, why do you have a reservoir shock and you don't have compression and rebound yeah, adjustment on it? You know what I mean? And it's, you know, they're kind of reasonably priced. I'm like, you know what? Like we're going to spend the time and get something good out there for these people to use that actually, when you turn the knobs, it's actually doing something, you know? And I think that's what you'll see the nose on yours when you start playing with those shocks is, you know, one or two clicks on that suspension is going to make a difference, you know, that you'll feel. Yeah. And, you know, you'll find that sweet spot eventually on those and then it'll be awesome. Yeah, that that's exactly it. Like, and I mean, inside baseball again, but it, it, that's the thing, right? Like the scrambler, mine specifically is, you know, it's 12 pounds lighter in the rear than the stock is, right? So you can't just like grab a sheet on the on the street stats and, and know, you know, how much percentage of the overall weights on this place or that place, you know, it's jacked up an inch on the front and it's now on 21 inch front and 18 inch rear. Like I've changed the geometry so much that like you can't use a, a stock sheet for it. Um, and yeah, I gotta, I gotta click it around and kind of figure that stuff out. And, and in the end, I, there's no way anybody's going to get it right on the first shot. So I'm just going to ride it and beat on it for a little while and then ship it off to whoever and go, Hey, revalve this to this and see how that works, you know? And you had said, uh, Wheelworks did your wheels for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you just sent them your hubs out and they just sent them back with the 18. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. Cause that was a question I, I wanted to ask you earlier. was like, what all did you guys do to that triumph? But yeah. So Kevin for Wheelworks, um, I talked to some different people Andy sent me over to him. Um, I could have technically saved $200 by going to somebody else, but his service was really good for me. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I pulled the wheels off and you know, they were what 80,000 miles ridden 365 days through the snow and everything else. Those <laughs> spokes were rusted. Oh yeah. You know, the, sadly the rims have been plastic dip for so long. The rims are still quite shiny, but the spokes were just jacked. Right. So I just, I just cut them with a, with a, uh, whatchamacallit a cutting wheel and just shipped in the hubs and then nice twenty one eighteen sent back to me um uh, i get for you um, for your knowledge for your customers and for anybody listening uh, it changes the geometry pretty significantly um you could do a lot of stuff with the 1917 tire selection you could get pretty wild with a fatter front a fatter rear and usually the bike was pretty good it wasn't like super sketchy unless you got on some really wild knobbies mm-hmm. uh 2118 you have to you have to run a 150 on the rear because i run a skinny two and a half inch 18 so i can use a ring lock a bead locker to keep the from getting the flag because i run like 12 psi when i'm off really yeah um, but if you, if you get skinny tires and ride on the pavement, it will scare the shit out of you once you oh, get to 45. I can imagine yeah. just from, uh, so I've always said that I wanted to turn, you know, when I'm done with this flat tracking stuff is the test rides on our hooligan bike. The thing just seems like it would be the funnest bike ever to ride on the street. Aside from the fact yeah. you don't have a front brake and, uh, you know, and the thing just has like gobs of power and it's geared so yeah. aggressively that it's like, you just tap the throttle on the front end is like straight up in the air. Um, but yeah, just riding around on those flat track 19 inch wheels on the street is sketchy as hell. So I can imagine what it's yeah. like with even a bigger lug and knob on those. <laughs> and, and we have a lot of customers that come in, you know, on the street bike side and they're like, we want a knobby tire. And I'm like, uh, what kind of riding do you really want to do with this? Yeah. And like, they just want it to look cool, you know? So luckily there's some 
pretty decent like 70 30 80 20 mm-hmm. you know that give you the look of it but you know at least when you're you're not going to totally hate life riding that thing down the road but an off-road knobby on anything that's written on the street is not fun at all been there it's and that's a funny thing right like um you said crf250l i had one of those for ten thousand miles uh, i now have a wr250r i've had for let's call it three thousand miles I ride the shit out of these bikes and I've ridden all kinds of tires. I've run non DOT tires. I'll ride 70 miles an hour. I'll go, I'll go to work with bead locks in it. Like all that stuff. I don't care. Um, and the bikes have been really good, but the triumph, I have finally kind of goofed around with the geometry that if I don't put a big fat 150 on the rear, it is, it, it's <laughs> terrifying on the highway. <laughs> So, and I, I don't balance tires most of the time. Like I don't care about most of that shit, but yeah, that was the limit for me. I rode back from a local trail one day. I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> Some butt puckering so moments, I, I'm sure. Yeah, I meant to ask you this question earlier. Like, um, you know, obviously you've talked about all the different riding and stuff you've been into. First, what is the actual like comfortable ideal riding season in your locale? Like, like how many months or like from what calendar dates really make sense to really enjoy the ride without, you know? Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm as fair weather as it comes. Used to not be, sure. I used to be the guy out there, like the first, you know, the first, uh, you know, 50 degree day in January, I'd be out there on a bike. Like, yeah, this is freedom. You know what I mean? Like, you know, back when I had my Harley and, uh, as I started building nicer bikes, uh, my riding season stops when the salt hits the roads. Um, yeah. One from just a safety perspective, uh, they love using salt in this area and it almost becomes like sand all over the roads and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, fine if you're riding a, a scrambler or something like that, but uh, <laughs> on, a, on a street bike, not fun. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and then just, they just eat the bikes up in these areas and uh, yeah. Triumphs in particularly just, you know, we see a lot of city bikes, guys that leave them outside, guys that ride them all year round and they come in and we've got like two year old bikes in the shop and it's like, yes, their, their brake pads are smoked their You know, everything just has like just salt corrosion on it. Yeah. And um, I can't, you know, if some of the customers would be like, dude, man, you've got to come in once a year and see me and let me clean, you know, pull the caliper apart, clean the pins, clean everything up. Cause you know what I mean? Like, this is not normal. You know, it's yeah. not like you're riding a 50,000 miles a year. You know, this is just a, a lightly used bike that looks like it's, been sitting you know in an ocean for two weeks you know for yeah it's i will second that having ridden all year round here it eats these triumphs up yeah i don't know i don't know what it is about the alloys they use i mean i know they use just regular steel spokes like they're not stainless so those rust out um some of the models actually have steel rim shells so i think the scrambler has steel rim shells on it yeah so those things are always rusting out i Um, lost like seven pounds when i ditched those yeah so it's kind of neat they're starting to put aluminum so i know one of the new changes on like the newer bonnevilles and stuff is they're going to alloy you know rims on them from the factory which will be nice because we get a lot of unhappy customers like why is my rim rusting and stuff like that like this is poor quality and it's like no you just live in a crappy area the environment around here just isn't great you know like um but yeah uh that's so the riding season i would like my personal riding season is first rain in the in the spring you know what I mean? That gets all the salt off the roads and it's, it's warm. But I, I would say that the active busy riding season is probably April to November here. You okay. know what I mean? Something like that. It's, it's, not, it's not too it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, luckily for us, for the shop, we kind of, we start bringing in some bigger projects for the winters to kind of get us through, you know, when, you know, this is when we're telling people like, Hey man, if you want to get your swing arm powder coated, if you want to get your bike painted, like don't lay your bike up in August, bring yeah. it to us now. You know what I mean? It's this way it's, you know, you got, you know, not taking the bike out of service. So 
so we got you know we've been able to stay you know fairly busy all year round like right now at the shop um just talking shop stuff like uh we had built a really cool uh fat tire 110 with a bbc trikes kit um last I wanted year to bring that up earlier so yeah so we uh we built this thing and i literally just built it for myself to be a pit bike at the track um and as it's, anything it's a for the listeners he's talking about a, a honda crf 110 which is a four-speed automatic which is like the best pit bike ever because adults yeah. can ride it anywhere all the time and it's a wheelie machine yeah like, it's a blast so so bbc came out with these kits um that basically make them like fat cats. I don't know if people remember the old school fat cats or the BW 200s, BW 80s, whatever. Um, you know, bolt on kits. We're not doing any phantom stuff here, but we we put our spin on it. We uh, we put a trike friend front fender on it. We put a, yeah. a 250R LED headlight on it. Um, you know, put some effort into making like cool graphics for it, match the seat to the graphics, put high bar kits on them, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, upgraded suspension for, for fat asses and, uh, <laughs> you know, built a bike and, um, I'm really lucky in that I have some really good, like local customers that have become friends that are photographers. Um, so yeah. like the one thing I've learned over the years is, uh, you know, if you just post crap content all the time, like it's not going to get you anywhere. But since I've had these customers that are like, Hey man, I'll shoot your bike and we pay some of them. Some of them don't want to get paid. Um, but you know, Antonio is one of my buddies who's a you know good customer of ours. He's got a really badass trucks in that, you know, we work with him on stuff. And then we have another customer, Josh, that, that took the pictures and he took the pictures of this, of this fat tire bike and it just exploded. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, and it, we, we were in the process of building ours. And then there's this, there's this uh, online thing called like Sea boys TV. Um, yeah. You know, they just, you know, they're like into motos and stuff like that, but they built one on their channel. And like, so my video, it's my only viral video I've ever had was just literally the back, like a six second clip of this fat tire in the back. And it's literally, a bunch of 12 year old kids telling me I'm a C boys TV ripoff guy. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, so pretty funny. Um, but we built this thing at a bike bound, um, blog, yep. uh, ran an article on it and, uh, we get people hitting us up all the time. Like, dude, can you build one for us? Can you build one for us? Um, so when I finished the bike, I had bought the actual bike itself with rewards points. So all I had money into it was just the kit and you know, yeah. the stuff we had bolt- bolted onto it, you know, the other stuff we had done. And, uh, for shits and giggles, I just put it up on Facebook locally. I got eighty five hundred bucks for that thing, which is insane. Right. These are twenty six hundred dollars bikes from the dealer. You know, out the yeah. door they're like thirty one, thirty two. Like the fact that there's a whole underground in the mini scene and that pit bike scene that's yeah. just insane. And I'm not trying to even right. like touch the surface of it, but it just blew my mind. And like, you know, I became members of some some CRF one ten boards and stuff yeah. on Facebook. And you know, you'll see guys that like go crazy with them selling them for like twelve grand and stuff. And like. You know the casual, the, the casual rider and owner, like you're crazy. But um, as people saw there in COVID, just in the car market, motorcycles, there's yeah. there's just some some people that have a lot of money that want to relive their yeah. childhoods, and yeah. twelve grand or eight grand for a one ten is nothing to them. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. that's like pocket change. You know what I mean? So, um, so we've we've got this really good Triumph customer, and he stumbled across those. He's like, dude, you built these. He's like, I, I want two of them. So we have two of them getting built right now at the shop that I'm looking awesome. forward to. Um, we've got a Air, Airhead uh, BMW for a really good Triumph customer. Um, it's been a project that's kind of passed or been passed around to two customers now. Um, it's going to be a top shelf, you know, full engine rebuild, everything. Uh, we're picking the motor up this week for it, so we should start getting wrenching on it. Um, but that's like an 84 R100 RT, you know. Oh, yeah played out cafe but with our you know we're gonna put our twist on it and just make it clean you know using using parts from some of the top companies out there but tasteful powder coating tasteful paint that's kind of been our mo is just yes build clean bikes that you know like i said we're not so 
this is another thing I want to talk. I know we're kind of running out of time here, uh, but no, that's uh, you. as a, uh, you know, as someone that's built bikes and, and had them covered on like some of these online, you know, bike exif, um, pipe burn. I've never had a bike on bike exif. One day, hopefully I'll build a bike. That'll be bike bound know, great. Though. Yeah. But bike bound, he's like the coolest that. guy to work with. Absolutely. You know, he was like, when he saw the 110 right away, he was like on it. He's like, dude, he's like, I'm running this thing. I'm like, yeah, no problem, dude. Let me get you the pictures. Here's the write up. He's just a really good, genuinely person. Um, the Scott from pipe burn is pretty cool too. Um, he's run okay. some of our bikes, but, uh, it's kind of, it's like good and bad for you. Cause it's like, you have these like bike builder critiques out there to just rip your shit to shreds. You know what I mean? Oh, you could yeah. have a flawless bike and they're just like, Oh, the dimensions on that seat are off or this. And it's like, you, you know, you harp on like the 10 negative comments you get and not the, you know, not the positive ones you get, but, uh, I've kind of, I'm kind of over that now. You know what I mean? Like we just do our content, <laughs> we get our pictures, we share them for ourselves. Um, we're actually building a really cool, um, brand new website from scratch right now that we're working on that i'm yeah. super proud of we're mainly to switch platforms um going to shopify this seems to be where to go um, okay working with a you know a local company that's doing it for me and uh, i'm like super proud and the best thing about that was like when i went into like the actual design sessions with them like i was like here's my dropbox with like all of my awesome photography and videos that i have yeah. from like my friends that do this and uh that was a really big advantage when you're you know you don't have to go searching and just you know taking pictures from whoever so yeah i'm uh, i'm excited about it um but yeah that's just uh that's just what's going on this winter at the shop and like i said i'm gonna get that scrambler on the lift and get that thing going that's like my my winter project for the winter that i want to make like a badass like bdr scrambler you know using you as an inspiration and uh you know <laughs> i don't hear that very often <laughs> it's gonna be pretty crazy uh you know what i mean like i it's cause like i said i uh luckily for this bike like i i have just i've accumulated just parts around the shop from yeah. different projects i've had so it's going to have like a a calfab aluminum swing arm on it that you know don't they're not even made anymore i just happen to have one sitting yeah. at the shop um you know some dual high pipes on it and stuff it probably won't be very practical but it's going to look cool that's kind of what i'm trying to do here i i look forward to comparing notes with you <laughs> on that um because that's that has been the writing right like you know rosie has evolved out of thousands of miles of experience and it's funny because people are like oh it looks great and i'm like you know, it's weird how sometimes function actually looks good because it's almost almost a hundred percent modifications and function. Mm -hmm. So it'll be it'll be fun to compare notes with you about where you land on it because there's absolutely stuff out there that I'm like, oh, I love the way that looks. It doesn't work for me, but I yeah. love the way that looks. And I'm definitely gonna send my wheels out to get. I'm gonna do the eighteen twenty one setup yeah. too. It just opens up, you know, a whole different. I wasn't sure if I needed the the eighteen versus the seventeen, but I'm gonna roll with it. So that's like kind of standard stuff. So. It's six and one and a half dozen for the other. Um, because of how, the the front wheels, I think it's like three quarters of an inch larger when you put an actual tire on a on a twenty one, especially if you do like a fat tire. Um, so you do change the rake, which is good off road, but the turning radius is already not good, um, so it gets harder. So it's more stable off road, but it's harder to turn as it is, and even on the street, it's worse. So switching to the eighteen helps because it bumps up the rear a little bit, but then tire sizes get goofy that's the really weird thing 21s are great because you can find a 21 inch tire of any kind you can find you can find damn near sport rubber right like continental makes some incredible 21 inch tires they're great it's that 18 inch rear that makes it hard to find what you like as good street rubber um and then you start getting into arguments about cost and, and again inside baseball for for triumph owners that are listening the 17-inch rear that's on a Bonneville, the old air-cooled Bonneville, the 130s, are, they're cheap. Like, you can mm -hmm. find really good, cheap 17-inch tires. 
if you if you go up to 150 you start paying more you go up to 18 and you have to go to 150 you really start paying more we're talking like 180 200 for rear tires it's a pain in the ass so dirt bike tires are great because i spent 50 bucks but when i have to find street rubber i'm like ah oh, it sucks so there's that all right um and i meant to ask you earlier um do you like riding or wrenching more I think right now it's it's probably on the wrenching side. I know that sounds lame. Like yeah. I said, it's just because I haven't been able to do riding. Like um, I've only been out a handful of times this year. Um, and the, the bike that I've taken out to like our local bikes and breakfast is my uh, CT125 trail that we have, which, <laughs> yes. which is our pit bike. Um, you know, and I rolled that thing over with a, with a milk crate on the back of it to our local bikes and breakfast. And I'm just a big, tall goon on it. Um, I yeah. did get it up to about 63 going downhill, drafting a, drafting a tractor trailer truck, which is pretty impressive for a, nine horsepower bike or whatever they are um but yeah and, and right now it's it's mainly been um and it's it's fun and it's also stressful is like just kind of bringing people's visions um yeah. you know to fruition you know what i mean like like i said we've done we've had some cool stuff that's come out of the shop in the last year or two you know still in the cafe racer scheme we, we, i was kind of bummed to hear the you know the announcement of the thrux thing going away because it's such <laughs> a core part of our now, business yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> we've kind of like built our business around that and if you look at our builds like you know, probably 75% of them, and, and I use the term build loosely, but you know, probably 75 of the, the cust- 75% of the customer bikes are like Thruxons that we've done that, like, yeah. you know, that we think are like cool looking bikes, you know, like, and um, so we'll see. But yeah, I'd say right now it's probably the wrenching stuff and it's just, uh, you know, right now it's, it's been pretty cool seeing, you know, the business during COVID on the part side has just kind of exploded for us like yeah. doubled literally overnight and it's you know it's coming back to earth now um, but it's still way more than it used to be and it's like Good. you know the other day someone from like japan posted like their helmet with an anj cycle sticker on it and like to me it's just kind of like it's kind of like wow like this is like crazy that there's like someone that's gonna waste space on their helmet with one of the stickers that i threw in with a part yeah. they bought for their bike you know it's kind of like surreal after a while because like i said we're just we're working out of a small shop outside of new york city and to see the reach that it's had and you know we get people that you know, touch base with us on Instagram or sending us emails and they're like, Hey man, you know, I love this, you know, gray Thruxton that you built three years ago. And it's like, those bikes have become just like such marketing tools for us from a parts perspective that it's a, you know, like, you know, there's some really cool bike builders out there and stuff like that. And like, they might offer some parts, you know, for, you know, that they've machined and stuff like that. But like, I feel like the advantage we have is like, we're just bringing you the best of the best parts. And my, my, my goal is to be like, you can just get everything from us here. You know what I mean? Do you want yeah. to upgrade this? You want to upgrade that The suspension, whatever. Like if you've got a triumph and, and we're branching out into some other stuff, you know, we've dabbled with the adventure market a little bit. We do carry some unique brands like free spirits that make some yeah. stuff for tigers and, you know, some Harleys and stuff that, you know, we're the only guys in the U S that bring this stuff in. So we've dabbled with it, but, um, you know, I'd rather do one thing really good, which is triumph twins and, you know, it might be yeah. short-sighted down the road. Uh, I feel like I've been smart enough to adapt to, to changes and stuff like that, but the stuff is still coming along decently. And, you know, it's why I've, you know, the scrambler stuff is kind of where, where I'm putting some efforts in right now because I just want to think scramblers are awesome looking. And, you know, it's like, it's funny because when I built the scrambler 1200, I was actually going to buy one of our first custom Thruxtons from the customer yeah. that we built it for. And I'm like, you know what? I already have a Thruxton already have cafe racers like i'm like i need a scrambler you know what i mean like i need something in this space and it's just it's just launched a whole other world of just you know building cool stuff you know what i mean like putting together cool stuff and and then kind of creating the blueprint for it you know kind of you know what i mean so like 
when that next person that wants to build a BDR scrambler, I could be like, Hey man, we've got the shocks for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've got this plus 30 kit. Like I have a local customer that literally comes every week and buys parts from us and he just bought a plus 30 kit for him. I sold them yeah. the 375 millimeter shocks for the back. You know what I mean? And it's just, it just keeps going and going. You know what I mean? But it's like, that's all just from real world living. And I'm not just, you know, just selling you crap just to sell you a part. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll be the first, first person to tell you like, yeah, no, you don't need that for your bike. And I don't think yeah. there's a lot of shops out there that do that, you know? So, well, yeah, I, we... I mean, the backstory, right? Like you and I went back and forth about the shocks for a bit because I wanted to go to 400. I really wanted to, mm-hmm. but you were like, I don't know if I would do that for X, Y, and Z. And I went out and tested it and went, yep, that was good advice. No, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea for as, for as, as greedy as I am about more suspension training, <laughs> I was worried it would mess up the suspension. Yeah. And, and it was more of like, I didn't want to make a mistake and then we have to send them back to get them shortened yeah. and stuff like that. So uh, just, you know. 385 is still badass, so it's still a lot of oh, a lot of height and travel. It's so. so good. What are you doing oh, for a kickstand sure. on that bike? I'm just curious. Oh, you didn't know? Um, oh, God, I feel awful because I'm terrible with names. Once I get on recording, I can never remember. I had a guy out of – God, he might have even been out of Australia. I forget where he is. He, I had a Delrin puck. Like somebody took like a one-inch piece of Delrin rod and just cut it. And I just bolted it to the bottom of the kickstand to okay. raise it up an inch to make up for the shocks. Um, and then a guy actually had 3D printed some parts that matched the shape of the bottom of it. And so that's bolted to the bottom of it now. Um, okay. I could probably bump it up another half inch now that I did the wheels. Um, but it still works really well. Because when I put that puck on there, it really leaned over more natural. And since you haven't, you've been around that air-cooled scrambler, those other air-cooled ones leaned over like really Oh, far. yeah. I don't know what they changed when they went to EFI, but they don't lean over quite as bad. So even now it leans over kind of like an air cooled one does so, or not air cooled, but a carbureted carbureted scrambler. So it's not so bad. So yeah, yeah I kind of know what you're talking about. Cause the, uh, I think you've seen it. We call it the, what the, what the Fruxton, um, that's the yeah. fast for fun bike, which is now a, like a legit flat track bike. Yeah. Um, but, um, as part of doing the twin 19s front and back, um, on that bike, you know, he actually, basically had his his buddy's a really talented fabricator this little guy we work with um he actually just out of aluminum made like an inch spacer for it so maybe that's just what i'll do in my area is just get something like that made it's i mean i imagine the thing steel but i think it's cast right so i mean you could cut it and weld it but then playing with cast welding you know you have a real talented guy it's a crap shooter (laughs) yeah i mean you could you could hand it to a welder and tell them that you want them to fabricate something and they could probably make a replacement for it that looks a lot like it or looks something even more innate and better and then and i'm gonna be calling you like hey how much was that because uh, you know i could do that <laughs> but as i said I'm a, I'm a functional dude right like a lot of the stuff's like nah i just need this i just need it to work right i mean she's she's seen a shit ton of action and at this point you know scars are cooler than 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 shine on her because there's no <laughs> there's no removing the rust from the frame and things yeah. like that at this point so it sounds like you basically <laughs> built like a kiss flip platform boot for your stock swing arm is what you for your stock kickstand is what you did so yeah i just you know that. she wears heels everywhere <laughs> that's basically how we're doing this now for sure so um so where can the listeners find you and more about your shop so uh when we started up our shop um i had to pick a name for it when i was uh my account was like listen this is getting a little too big you need to come up with you know you need to actually create like an llc and stuff to protect yourself yeah. and for tax savings and stuff like that so uh came up with a and j cycles which is actually my two kids names so angela and james and uh not knowing that there was like 
50 other AJ cycles in the U in the U S <laughs> and that this would eventually turn into what it did. You know what I mean? Like it was small at that time. I was selling parts on eBay. Um, so we're AJ cycles NY for New York.com yeah. is our website. And then we're actually AJ cycles on Instagram, like spelled out a N D. And then I think we're, uh, AJ cycles NY on Facebook or something like that, but you can link from our Instagram, but that's where we are. Um, like I said, you know, we, you know, in the, in the new year, new website launching, um, you know, plan is to get some better content going out there, you know, some real video content, build up our YouTube channel. Um, it's just a lot of stuff to try to, to try to tackle oh, yeah. when, you, when you still have a full-time job. I think that's, you know, I think we do a pretty good job of customer service and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I'm actually starting a new role at, at my day job next week. So I think I'll, I'll have less time, you know, at <laughs> night to, uh, to do this stuff at night and in the mornings before I go to my day job. But, uh, Hopefully no one from my uh, from my company listens to this podcast, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they're actually making this come back in like three days a week, which is like, oh, come on, it's terrible. Yeah. So I work in IT, that's what I do, so it's uh, interesting. But yeah, but that's that's us. That's where you can find us. And uh, I like to kind of think that we are like the you know the Triumph Twin gurus of in the U.S. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and that's kind of how we found Drew. And uh, like I said, if you need anything for your bikes, um, even if it's just free advice that you want, you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm here for it um to answer emails any questions you have just hit us up and uh you know just try to help customers and you know there's plenty of customers been like i want to do x y and z and it's like yeah you don't really need that for what you're trying to do so you know (laughs) i mean so um and i think that that uh you know just being taking that mentality to it and and i think it's different because i'm not making uh you know this isn't putting food on my table so i can have take a unique approach to it you know what i mean like my day job is is kind of what you know, what covers, you know, my day-to-day expenses. And this is just a nice little added bonus, you know, to help out with, you know, just buying more motorcycles that I don't need and stuff like that. So, <laughs> but it gives us a really unique, you know, a new, unique experience for our customers and for ourselves. Cause I, you know, I don't have to be cutthroat out there. I'm not digging for every last thing. So, um, but that's where you can find us. And uh, I just want to say thank you for, for having us on the pod, man. Uh, it's a f- unique experience. It's probably going to sound like a babbling mess uh, when you go back <laughs> and, and edit this thing. But, uh, um, I was nervous coming on if we were going to have two hours worth of stuff to talk about. And here we are at two hours and 12 minutes. And we honestly probably could have talked um, before we went live. I had told them that my, I was talking to my wife before we came on here about how, you know, I don't know what I'm going to talk about for two hours. And uh, <laughs> she's like, what are you talking about? You could talk about motorcycles for a week and a half straight. And oh, she yeah. was definitely right. We could keep rambling on about the same stuff. And so appreciate the uh, opportunity and uh, look forward to working, working with you too in the future. So absolutely any any last message for the listeners um my message would be is uh just say man tomorrow's never guaranteed for anyone so go have fun today so if if you're a guy on the fence that's thinking about buying a dirt bike um go buy that dirt bike man just just live live for today save a little bit for tomorrow but just just live for today man like you know i've, I've had some health issues i've had some stuff happen in my family you know losing my brother and stuff like that it just changed that perspective and a lot of people just get caught up in the day-to-day and everything is no, nah, I'm not going to do that, but, you know, go have fun and get a dirt bike or, or something, two wheels, a street bike, a dirt bike or something. Um, you know, I, I don't get to ride anywhere near as much as I normally would, but, um, but it's, there's nothing like the freedom of being out on two wheels, um, anywhere on the street, you know, in the woods, anywhere. So that would be my advice. Buy the dirt bike. Ask for forgiveness Beautiful. later. Love it. With that, we'll catch the listeners down the road.